You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 542. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. Host Captain Jeff broadcasting live from Studio 1A at former APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 27th of October, Today's episode, the owner of Gold's Gym is feared dead in the crash of a private plane off Costa Rica. A Korean Airlines jet goes off the end of the runway landing in the Philippines. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tail, only a flat tire. So get all settled in. Tray tables, seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 542 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA, and joining us from her lakeside studio in South She's a skydiver, doctor, marathon runner, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper. It's Dr. Steph. Speaking of pushing buttons, Uh I had to unmute myself there, which I thought I was ready to do, and then I was not. But great to be here. Good to see you, Captain Jeff. Excited for the show today. Happens to the best of us, doesn't it, Steph? You know, nailed it. Yeah. Like always. Yeah, like always. All right. And also joining us from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Uh, hi there, Jeff. Just making a little on the side. Uh, uh, here's to my sponsor Guinness is good for you. Uh, apparently. Yes, for sure. All right. Cheers. Always good to have a great sponsor like Guinness. And also, where? A place to stand. A place to grow. From our studio in Toronto, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hello, everyone. Hello. So nice to see you all. Now, we, I, uh, I think that's going to be it for today's show, isn't it? Uh, maybe Nick Camacho may join us at a later point. We're not sure, but this is, uh, this is what you, what you see is what you get. So let's uh, move on right away to see you the, later, gang. all right, see you, Liz. And like a genie, she's gone in a puff of smoke.
stand by for news. Let's start off with this first item in our news. It's an accident. By the way, this is from AviationHerald.com. A Korean Airlines Airbus A33300 registration uh, Hotel Lima 7525 performing flight 631 from Seoul, South to Korea, uh, South to Korea, no, South Korea to Cebu, Cebu City, Philippines with 162 passengers and 11 crew had gone around at low height twice following approaches to Cebu's runway 22, climbed back to 5,000 feet, entered a hold, landed on Cebu's runway 22 at 2307 local time. So it was dark about 55 minutes after the first and about 42 minutes after the second go-around. The aircraft crossed the runway end at about 80 knots over the ground and came to a stop about 360 meters, which is about 1,200 feet, past the runway end close to the airport perimeter fence. Uh, Oh, and the image, uh, Liz, that uh, I think would be really good here to show exactly how close it got to the perimeter fence would be that last one which, by the way, was sent in by uh, Cebu Steve, one of our yep, a, uh, one of our APG community members. Um, it shows one of the uh, uh, residences uh, just past the perimeter fence, and you can see how close it, uh, it nice got Nice plane spotting place. Overrun. Yeah, it's a great plane spotting place, especially for the ones that go off the end of the runway. <laughs> yes, uh, you so. Really, really close-up view. <laughs> yes. Yum, yum. Uh, let's see. Cebu Steve, I'll go ahead and just uh, read what he sent to us. He said, Dear crew, some news attached from my local airport here in Cebu in the central Philippines. Not sure what happened yet, uh, but uh, we'll not speculate. But the weather probably played a role as we had a severe thunderstorm during that time. Um Anyway, so uh, he says, keep up the great work, and thank you for that uh, photo. Um, oh, there's a McDonald's. Cebu we Steve. can get a McDonald's uh, endorsement oh, there. Oh, look at that. McDonald's in the background there. Nice. Mm, that's where they were going. Oh, the golden arches. They were, yeah. they were, they were just hungry. Yeah, yeah they were hungry. As close as possible <laughs> to the drive-thru. Well, I mean, after two go-arounds, I mean, it, two you Two go-arounds, you're going to want some fries and a Coke. You are. Just mm-hmm. maybe a Big Mac. Maybe even some, what is it you like so much from uh, McDonald's there? Nuggets. 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 Those nuggets. Chicken McNuggets. Yeah. Uh, late for slides, a chicken are, slides and a ladder. That's good. Slides and a ladder. Oh yeah, is that built into the uh, slide? <laughs> no, <Yeah>. it's not. <laughs> that was probably something placed there after the fact. Uh, so we're wat- we're looking at some uh, some pictures here. Uh, the aftermath the of this thing, yeah. and yeah, the the first, you know, the front half, or maybe not half, but a very large portion. The front part of the uh, aircraft under belly is uh, pretty much destroyed. God. And I, mm-hmm. what do you think that um, the hole is on the uh, on the top? At the top? I was wondering about that. I don't. Yeah, did was, they strike was, something else on the way? I well, what yeah, I, to but that point? something that's uh, like you know, ten feet in the air. This oh, seems to have, uh, cl- uh, unless it was say something like a light stand. No, it wouldn't be a light stanchion, would it? No. I, don't I, know. Know. I mean, there doesn't appear to be anything like in their pathway from the aerial Google Earth photo. I know. That's it what's must really be substantial because it really has carved a big slice out of the ceiling of the mm. top of the aircraft. It has. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, when I when I saw that, I went, "What would cause that?" That's maybe the uh, maybe the glide slope antenna. Because that's the only thing I can maybe, think of. The, that would, I mean, that's the only thing that's draping over like the top of the aircraft. 
mm-hmm. you know. So I wonder if something sticks out from that and caught into it. Because if you look on the other side of the aircraft, there's scratches all along the, um, like the top of the fuselage as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe just from the antenna that they kind of plowed through. Oh yeah, uh, there's something matching on the other side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might oh. well be right uh, there, Steph. Interesting. Well. If you want to see what we are talking about as far as yeah. images, uh, please refer to the show notes. Okay, uh, let me get back to the story. Okay, no injuries are being reported. The aircraft, having broken through the localizer antenna, received substantial damage, including collapse of the nose gear, damage to the nose underbelly, and penetrations to the cockpit. Mm. Yeah, those um, pilots must have felt like. Fred Flintstone, you know, running along the ground as the mm-hmm. cockpit floor disappeared beneath them. Yeah. Thank goodness there's a good amount of uh, electronics, like heavy, dense electronics equipment down there to kind of absorb. Yeah, of it's, well, it used to be. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, the uh, Philippines Civil Aviation Authority have opened an investigation into the accident. Uh, so we uh, have some... Um, Weather information here, as Cebu, Cebu Steve mentioned, a uh, heavy thunderstorm. This in the METAR saying a light thunderstorm, rain showers, uh, 9,000 overcast, 25 and 24 on the temperature dew point. And uh, winds uh, don't look bad, really, um, nope. that I can, I can see. So, yeah, it doesn't look like extremely or extraordinarily bad uh, weather. And then I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm wondering if that's kind of a short runway. And I believe it's like over 10,000 feet long. Uh, yeah. So no. Yeah. No, <laughs> it wasn't long enough. Not long enough. Yeah. True. No I mean, mention of like wind shear type stuff, even though the winds weren't bad with the thunderstorm activity. No. No. There's no gusting. Or I just wonder if uh, the forecast. Uh, you'd expect poor visibility with heavy thunderstorm or rain shower, but this, I mean, it says. Yeah. Yeah. Quite honestly, you know, you do wonder why they were hanging around for forty odd minutes waiting to make a a final approach. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because from the forecast, it doesn't look that bad. But uh, Mm -hmm. of course, in reality, may not tell the whole story. Might have been just something right off the edge of the uh, airport environment that was more problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sebu Steve said that he doesn't know why they didn't divert to Davao, Davao, I think, Davao, as that's only 40 minutes from Cebu. They could have landed there and then refueled, flown back to Cebu once the storm had passed. Yes. I think in hindsight, they're probably wishing they had done that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent, uh, better hindsight. Uh, they'd have loved to have, uh, now be saying, oh yeah, uh, it was a very sensible decision, Captain, to divert, but, uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that plane's a right off. Trouble is, I don't think Korean are terribly um, sympathetic with uh, problems that occur in their airlines like this. Uh, much more minor things have caused a dismissal. So uh, I don't know. I don't uh, think this crew are going to get away with uh, just a, a quiet couple of sim rides or anything. Right. All right. Well, let's move to the next item. Uh, B. This is also from the Aviation Herald. Um, let's see. Oh, actually, somebody sent this Marcus in. Marcus. Marcus. Okay. Uh, Marcus Duncan. 
Uh, he says, I saw the story, thought I'd send it in. It's about an Airbus flying in Colombia and having to divert a couple of times to where it finally landed in Montierra. Is that right, uh, Steph? Montierra? Montierra. Montierra. With only 200 kilograms of fuel between its tanks. I read in the comments that worked out to be only about six minutes of fuel left. The part I wanted to know and hope you guys can answer is that I had looked at the METARs and the weather didn't look too bad at either of the initial airfields. It said in the report they had diverted to weather uh, for weather uh, both times. I was hoping you guys can point out what I had missed. I have to apologize about my last voice message. Somehow I seem to have been more nervous than when speaking to ATC. <laughs> That's weird. I hadn't realized to myself... Uh, I hadn't realized until I heard myself on the show. Uh, us Scots can speak English if we try hard enough. <laughs> well, okay. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, we just can't understand you. Uh, one last thing. Uh, did Captain Nick ever have to divert from Lukers during this time of year when the haggis are migrating to the borders? Is that, did I pronounce uh, that right? Oh, yeah. Uh, There's always a problem migrating haggis. Uh, big hassle. Um yeah, I did, actually. I, I diverted uh, only once when I was at Lucas um, to Prestwick uh, when uh, the Har came in, which he will probably be familiar with. The Har is the local name for uh, an advection fog that uh, is a sea fog that uh, sits often just off the coast, and the airfield is actually literally on the coast, the end of the runways, more or less, in the, in the sand. Hmm. And uh, as the tide comes in, because there's an estuary right beside the uh, airport, it brings the sea fog in with the tide. It's a bit like Los Angeles, uh, which um, often Green has a, a, a fog, an advection fog that sits there and then is brought over the airfield when um, the wind changes or something. And, uh, yeah, the, the ha rolled in and um, we diverted. But um, uh, And funny old thing, you know, uh, they have a special uh, shooting season for the grouse uh, in uh, Scotland. Well, one year I was in, invited to um, go to the Glorious 12th, which mm -hmm. was apparently the start of the haggis shooting season. And I spent the day very enjoyably uh, shooting clay pigeons. And then we finished off uh, by uh, shooting uh, haggai. I think, I don't know quite what the, it's either haggai or haggis's. Uh, that were thrown off a cliff edge, and we, we shot them in midair. <laughs> very amusing. I hate to be dense, but what is a haggis? It's a stuff. Uh, it's uh, it's um, offal and uh, um, grain wrapped into a sheep's stomach and cooked. It's delicious. Up. Okay. Yeah. So, what are the uh, you're describing these things as like some kind of wildlife? But, no, no. Uh, they oh, were yeah. Just, well, they were the, the Scottish like believe they have little legs and they can uh, run around. Okay. What is it's that? Kind we, of a mythical creature. Yeah. What is it that yes. we do here, like snipe or something like from. that? Um, uh, I think it's called snipe. That we have a little mythical thing that uh, we talk about out out west, anyway. Yeah. Okay. So we yeah, on the August migration, you do see a lot of them around. Some can fly. Uh, it's a bit like the Australian drop bears and hoop snakes. They're, they're very nasty, so you want to watch out for those. Or jackalopes, right? Jackalopes, Steph? that's it. Uh, Thank you. I'm sure. Yes, jackalopes. Yeah. Anyway, it's probably going to be something in Canada 
Um, but they've probably got big feet, though. So uh... Sasquatch. Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Multiple back Sas- to the story. Back Sasquatchy. To the okay, go back to the story. Back to Thank the 200 you. Pounds. <laughs> 200 pounds. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we're, we got a Squirrel? little off track there. Yeah. Squirrel. What? Squirrel. Exactly. Uh, let's see. A uh, again from uh, the Aviation Herald. Squirrel. Um, <laughs> Aviva Columbia. Viva Columbia. Airbus A320-200 registration Hector Kilo. No, that's not right. Hotel Kilo 5378 performing flight 8332 from Cali to Riohacha, Colombia. I thought that was pretty damn close if you ask me. Was descending towards Riohacha Airport when the crew aborted the approach. (laughs) Okay, wait a minute. I think I have uh, somebody uh, helping me with the pronunciation here so uh here we go Srivijaya. all right um <laughs> anyway uh where was i um, you've been hacked by the russians the crew aborted uh, the approach oh yeah they did yes <laughs> they're descending toward the airport the crew aborted the approach at about flight level 180 and entered a hold for about 30 minutes the aircraft subsequently climbed to flight level 370 and was en route to divert to Medellin when the crew again needed to abort the approach at Medellin at about 15,000 feet. The aircraft climbed back to flight level 210. The crew declared an emergency and diverted to Montira, Colombia, where the aircraft finally landed on runway 32 about two hours and 15 minutes after aborting the approach to Rajasthan. And about three hours and no three yeah three hours and twenty minutes after departure from Cali, the aircraft had about one hundred kilograms in its left fuel tank and about one hundred and ten in its right. The totalizer showed two hundred kilograms of fuel remaining, and that's approximately well just shy it's of like five hundred pounds. pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah something between four hundred yeah, and five hundred pounds. That's not a lot. Yeah. That's fine for the caravan if you're going to fly. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. it's not good for Actually, airliners. Maybe two loads. <laughs> no, it's a terrifyingly small amount of fuel. Yeah, uh, weather on the METARs showing uh, thunderstorms and um, overcast 2000, 24, 24 temperature dew point. Um, and winds again, um, not crazy. Uh, they look like they were steady, not gusting and. No wind shear mentioned on that METAR. In Medellin, a little bit windier with some gusting to 22 knot winds, light thunderstorms there as well. <laughs> anyway, it was just a bad day to be flying. Could have been worse. Could have been worse, yeah. But yeah, the that's not what they planned for, obviously, to end, uh, end up um, arriving at the gate with. Uh, and now there is some discussion on the Aviation Herald website where people are thinking this is fake uh, that somebody photoshopped it there's no way anyone sh- would have been able to take that kind of picture i guess assuming that it was a passenger walking by the open cockpit door taking the 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 picture but i have a feeling if this is a real picture it was taken by one of the crew members on uh, in the cockpit yeah, mm-hmm. yeah certainly well boxes says that there was plenty of fuel there for apus to run at any rate, yeah, it, it looks of- pretty standard for a um, you know the fuel display after you shut down. Mm-hmm. So uh, the AP is running. Uh, although you better get some gas in there because even the APU isn't going to last long uh, on that amount of fuel. 
Yeah. Um, no, that that looks a perfectly normal display. It doesn't look like a simulator either because uh, there's a lot of light. Um, yeah. Yeah. Somebody had mentioned that. Yeah, it looks like a like a, something from you from one of those um, computer flight sim. sim flight sim things. And I'm thinking, huh? I don't think so. It looks pretty real to me. Everybody wants it to be a conspiracy. Yeah, that's so, true. So uh, the big question for me is uh, why he diverted both times from 15,000 feet, medium level. Um, you know, he, he he actually spent a lot of time um, en route to these two uh, diversions he went to. Um, the average thunderstorm is normally uh, moves away after, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, so, you know, if you're just going to go into a hold at your destination and uh, circle for a bit, normally they drift away. Uh, unless, of course, it's it's numerous thunderstorms that have ganged up on you and are coming through in a in a mass, a, a school. Yeah, big, training. You know, exactly. Uh, in which case, you're on a bit of a hiding to nothing. But um, I do wonder what their operations were doing with regards to vice, because the, um, you know, the METARs at Medellin were worse than his destination at uh, Rio Hacha. Um, so, yeah. Or so perhaps he, sorry? Oh, no, I, I wasn't really familiar with where Riohacha or um, the other well, ones actually. I'm not either, but I am assuming Monteria? that it might have been a better idea to go from Riohacha direct to uh, Montiera where he finally landed because that looks right. a lot better. Yeah, and I think those two places are actually much closer to one another. I don't know. I have to look on the – so Medellin's up in the mountains. I don't know why they would head back that direction. The other two places are on the coast. Actually, no, none of them are close to each other. I'm looking right now. None of those three places are anywhere near each other hmm. in Colombia. But uh, uh, would it have been okay to have gone directly from Riohacha to? Uh, yeah, it's on Mon the way. Montiera. You have to go Mon past Monteria to get to Medellin. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> in that case, uh, well, I'm beginning to wonder who was making Maybe the, the pilot decisions lives and in why Medellin. here. Yeah, now that I actually um, look at a map, I'm like, what? What was happening here? Hmm. This is weird. Yeah. Might well, have something to do with the weather that we can't see in that map, right? You know, absolutely. Yeah, I, sure. you can't double guess just based on what we're looking here—a uh, handful of meters. But uh, you know, uh, if you're going to go past an airfield, you can land at. Um, you have to have a damn good reason to go to somewhere where the forecast is worse. Um, so you yeah. know, you just wonder. Uh, it might be that it's hard to get hold of the information. These, you know, sometimes the the information isn't put out on ACARS, sometimes certainly on Volmet, you know, a radio frequency. I don't know if that's the situation here. Not every airfield uh, transmits its METARS uh, on the um, ACARS system so that you can easily pick it up on the flight deck. Uh, sometimes you have to use various other means and sometimes you can't contact your operations or perhaps they're just not being very helpful. Yeah. Um, so I have a sympathy with the crew because making these decisions real time is not easy. But um, that is just—I mean, literally, if they if they tried to go around from that landing, there's a good chance the engines would have just starved, been starved of fuel during the go around, because um, the fuel can just very easily drift away during an acceleration and a pitch up and a go around 
drift away from the booster pumps and um, even in the collector tanks where it should now be sitting uh, and you can uh, starve the engines of fuel even though you've got a couple of hundred kgs floating around. Um, so you have to be very careful during you go around not to do any exaggerated attitudes or very hard acceleration, which is not necessarily easy because it's kind of like a non-standard go around. So uh, he was very lucky. And uh, with that amount of fuel, even if he had gone around, I very much doubt he would have got all the way around a pattern to make a one a further approach. So that landing he did there was kind of a last you know, chance saloon Hail landing. Mary. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, let's keep it uh, down. Well, no, this is in Lisbon, Portugal. Let's go across the pond uh, to TAP Air Portugal Airbus A320-200. This is November. an update of something we covered. Oh, yes, this I remember an, this one. Oh, that's right. This is an update of uh, that accident where the 320 hit the motorbike, motorbike on landing. Yeah, he, he smashed it into the left engine, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in think, October, or maybe the right, I don't know, one of them. <laughs> in October 2022, oh, Portugal's 50, 50 GPIAA reported that the pilot flying was the commander, the pilot monitoring the first officer. Already established on final approach, the crew yeah. noticed a dim stationary light near right or engine. on the runway. They discussed the light and concluded it must be runway, a runway turning pad or runway exit light. After the aircraft touched down, as soon as the aircraft's headlight range permitted, a motorcycle was observed moving from centerline towards the edge line of the runway in an angle of about 45 degrees with the runway axis. The commander tried to steer the aircraft around the motorcycle with a rudder, but could not avoid contact with the right-hand engine with the vehicle and its occupants. Subsequent, uh, or subsequently, substantial damage was found on the number two engine. And uh, the Civil Aviation Authority of Guinea is investigating the occurrence. So that is our... So interestingly, they did see the motorcycle because we were wondering at the time mm -hmm. whether it had uh, been you know, an impossible situation. They landed and suddenly spotted it. Well, that's kind of what happens, but... If you see an unusual light on your runway, the least you should do is ask air traffic control, and they should have binoculars there, and you know they should be able to tell you if there's somebody on the damn runway. In which case, you know, go around and sort the problem out. Um, very, very sad that it resulted mm -hmm. in the death of two people. But yeah. what the hell did they think they were doing, riding their motorcycle down a runway, looking for a thrill? Mm -hmm. And one, they certainly got one. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Oh, and by the way, folks, if you want to get off a runway fast, don't go off at 45 well, degrees. Exactly. Go off at 90 exactly. degrees. 90 degrees. That's the <laughs> quickest way. That's fast. Shortest straight line to the exit. Yep. Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, item D, uh, again from the Aviation Herald. An Aerolineus Argentinus Airbus A330-200 registration Lima Victor Foxtrot Victor Hotel. Performing flight 1133-1133 from Madrid, Spain, to Buenos Aires, Aziza. Uh, uh, how do you pronounce that? Aziza? Aziza? Somebody help me. Hello. Hello. I don't know. Sivijaya. Sivijaya. In English. <laughs> yeah, here. I think, again, I'll look it up, and the pronunciation is? Sivijaya. Okay. Uh, in Argentina, uh, with 271 passengers, 13 crew, was en route uh, at flight level 360 over the Atlantic Ocean. 
uh, nearing the Brazilian coast when the aircraft encountered severe turbulence, causing injuries to 12 passengers. The aircraft continued to Buenos Aires for a safe landing about six hours later. Nine passengers were treated at the airport for minor injuries. Three were taken to a hospital. Okay, now I've highlighted something here. Uh, According to what was reported by the crew, the seatbelt indicator signs were on and the corresponding announcement had been made. The passengers who were the most compromised and who were the ones who had to be transferred to the hospital were not wearing their seatbelts. Surprise! At the time of Uh. the turbulence. Yeah. Not a big surprise. surprise. Yeah, exactly. People, wear your darn seatbelt. That keeps you attached to the aircraft and you don't go flying uh, like these 12 did and making holes in the ceiling and all that. So, Yeah, even if you're not that concerned about your own safety, if I'm the passenger beside you and you've gone flying and you subsequently land on me and injure me, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to sue the backside off you. Because, uh, you know, you're being negligent by not uh, Mm -hmm. touching your seatbelt. So you're not only putting yourself at risk, you're putting other passengers Mm -hmm. at risk. And you may find that the repercussions uh, come across uh, eventually and um, cause you a lot of heartache. Yes. Ezeza, by the way, I think. Ezeza. 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 Yeah, what she said. Ezeza. I'm probably wrong. Someone will still correct me. But that's, yeah. that's, that's close enough. I have to think about it for a second. Okay. Just goes to show, though, I, I suspect someone's head went into that top panel. Oh, it looks like someone's head on that one yeah. picture. No, then, that one. That one looks like someone's yeah. head. Yeah. Just straight up. Boink. That probably didn't feel too good. And what's worse is having ended up like three or four feet into the air, when you uh, are in turbulence and it goes from – negative to positive G, you're not going to fall down at 1G like you would if you jumped off your sofa. You could be coming down at two or three times that velocity as the aircraft comes up to meet you as you fall down, and that can cause an awful lot of injuries. I mean, broken bones, broken backs are common in these sort of situations. So when you realize the potential for serious, really serious injury, just you know, drives it home, put your damn seatbelts on. You know what? Nick, yeah, I have some video that kind of shows you an example of what happens to human beings when they are in pretty, you know, good turbulence. Oh, can we hear the bones snapping? Well, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> in this case, it's this is from a, the next news item that we're going to cover, which is F, I believe. Uh, two, two down. Two down from where we are. And uh, let me add this to this stream and we can, uh, at the very first part of this, you'll see what looks like maybe a child being thrown up. Okay, again, uh, at the very beginning here, you'll see like a little figure that may be a lap child or something. There. Yeah. Yeah, we saw that a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this uh, is looks like they're having fun on this uh, roller coaster ride. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's an airplane. <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll get to that. It's pretty bumpy inside that aircraft cabin. And I think this is going to transition to another angle, another um, camera angle. Seeing some lightning. A bit of lightning. Yeah. 
a little bit. And then you might be able to hear you might want to or you might be able to hear some hail hitting the uh, airplane. What's that? That sounds like hail. Yeah. Okay, looks like a lot of fun, huh? Um, just really teach these people if they're going to take eyewitness video that they should turn their phone to oh, landscape. <laughs> yeah, please. I've, I've already I've Come given up people. that I've given up that battle stuff. I mean, it's just I not going to happen. Unfortunately, I just, you know, every once in a while, if I could just say it and remind I know people. to maybe like. Yeah. Maybe somebody might consider it, but uh, doesn't seem like anybody does anymore. Um, so this incident, the video that we just saw, is from um, just a few days ago, October 27th. Uh, we're recording. Actually, that was the original recording date uh, for our show, but we had to move it a, a few days. Uh, right now we're recording on the 30th. So it was just a few days ago, a LATAM Airbus A320-200 registration, uh, Charlie, Charlie, Bank Alpha Zoo. Okay, let me try that again. Zambia. Uh, Zambia. Thank you. Performing <laughs> flight uh, 1325. Bank Artichoke Zambia. Artichoke. <laughs> Zebra. Uh, from Santiago, Chile, Chile to Asuncion, Paraguay, with 48 people on board, was on approach to Asuncion's runway 20. Two zero, I should say, when the crew initiated a go around from about 2,400 feet due to weather, the aircraft diverted to hmm, Foz de Aguacu, uh, Brazil, for a safe yeah, landing on runway. Thank you, Liz. Uh, runway 33, about 40 minutes after the go around. The aircraft main, remained on the ground in Foz de Aguacu for about three uh, hours and 20 minutes, then departed runway 15 to Asuncion again. On approach to Asuncion's runway 20, the aircraft flew through a thunderstorm. We just witnessed that and received damage to its radome, uh, but continued for a landing on the runway 20 about five, af five hours after the go around. There were no injuries, at least to passengers, but there were injuries to the aircraft. Uh, the airline reported the aircraft encountered severe weather on its flight path and performed an emergency landing in Asuncion. Passengers and crew disembarked in good condition, although a little uh, frazzled, I'd say. Uh, weather at the time, um, I believe is this the time that's in bold for the about when they landed, the thunderstorm I think so. Uh, report. Uh, again, winds don't look too bad. Um, 2,000 overcast and uh, thunderstorms. Twenty two. There's one farther down, though, which is, I'm not sure which time is the correct one. Yeah, I'm not either. Another one farther down in bold. first one is well, they got the rat out. 226. So that one that I just read is the uh, one I think that they finally landed after gotcha. having flown through the thunderstorm. Yeah, so we have some pictures here. Uh, first one that Liz showed was that graph from Flight Radar 24 that kind of shows um, quite a uh, quite a dramatic um, rate of descent in a couple of places. Most likely when the uh, autopilot kicked off, because you know autopilots they're good until 
or you know until until it gets until they're pretty, not. <laughs> until they're not yeah and yeah. they just basically give up at the at the worst possible time <laughs> yeah and they go you have the aircraft when it gets just, really difficult they just say that nah, you have control yeah i'm not sure what's happening to this airplane i can't really control it with the system used to do auto flight uh so you have it manual control um, and then the picture of the uh, radome and windscreen radome pretty much shredded. And, uh, and by the way, radomes are, you know, they're not made of metal. They're uh, made of um, kind of a poly polyurethane foam, kind of a hard polyurethane. I think it's a polyurethane uh, foam. It's um, pr pretty poly foam. Yeah. Oh, Pretty poly. That's for the next. And uh, yeah, you're 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 getting ahead of yourself, uh, Nick. <laughs> um, and uh, so this is where the ray uh, radar antenna lives, and is protected uh, from air loads and that kind of thing. But it's yeah, nice it is, flat plate antenna, so mm -hmm. it can look over its shoulder. Very clever. Yeah. Um, so the radome, believe it or not, it's it's really kind of designed to. Well, it has to be. Uh, constructed this way it can't be metal because obviously the radar beam would not be able to get through it nor return to the antenna so it'd be no good so it has to be kind of a uh, optically or radio uh, transparent i guess would be the right term um, kind of uh, material can't be the hardened fuselage skin yeah so um and of course the uh, as nick mentioned the uh the rat um, not a large rodent, but a, um, well, what's the, uh, Ram air turb Ram turbine, air uh, popped out, um, probably because of a momentary, uh, loss of, uh, the generators I'm thinking. Yeah. That, that is one of the causes uh, there are, you know, if I was about to do a simulator, I would uh, know of the eight or so, um, causes to for the rat to automatically deploy. Plus, you often put it out as a backup just in case. Um, funnily enough, it, uh, it, uh, total electrics failure is one cause for the rat to come out, but it's not an electric rat. It's a hydraulic rat, so mm. it, it provides hydraulic. It's a hydraulic pump that is driven by the airstream. Uh, and f further back in the hydraulic system, is a um, hydraulic to electric pump. So the hydraulic powers a generator. Uh, I called it a pump. It's not. It's a generator that uh, can provide power for the electrical system. So you, although it's a hydraulic pump, you can get electrics from it. Oh, interesting. So um, iHall Boxes in our live audience says that the material used for that radome is polytetrafluorethylene. Uh, PTFE. Oh, that, yeah, pr pretty poly tetrafluorethylene. Pretty poly, poly Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, uh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, interestingly, uh, I there was a lot of noise in the cabin. Uh, having you know, occasionally gone through the edges of big storms where sometimes you get a lot of uh, precipitation, you're flying through it, uh, and sometimes mixed with hail. Um, the noise in the flight deck is absolutely deafening because back in the cabin, you're not actually hitting much. Most of it's most of the stuff is just going past the f sides of the fuselage. At the front end, it's impacting <laughs> on the, you know, the windshield and the skin and the nose, and it really it can be so loud that you are bellowing at each other, trying to um, 
get the simplest of commands across because you're you can be completely different. Funny enough, um, it, it, the last time it happened to me, I neglected to c- consider putting the interphone on, which is an option that we never ever used on the Airbus because the Airbus flight deck is so quiet. You just mm-hmm. talk to the bloke. After all, he's only like eighteen inches from you. You want to get? <laughs> so, I'm yeah, sorry. so but uh, it would have been actually quite sensible had I thought about it to go onto interphone so that we could use the headset to talk to each other and amplify our voices. But uh, uh, I didn't think about it at the time. But no, it can be really, really difficult to uh, communicate uh, on the radio or anything. You sometimes you just can't hear a thing. No, it makes a a heck of a racket for sure. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, I'm sorry, I was a little distracted. I'm hearing telephones ringing and the answering machine announcing oh, who's calling and everything in the background, <laughs> in Liz's background. <laughs> sorry about that. But, hey, you want to uh, get that? Yeah, once that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that radio uh, burst, of course, you've got other problems now because you're worried that bits of that, uh, albeit, you know, it's, it's not the toughest material in the world, but some of it might have gone down an engine. Mm. Uh, and that's a concern. And you also have effectively stuck a huge air brake out because what was a nicely streamlined nose is now a flat plate. And um, you are going to need considerably more power. Your single engine performance in particular, and if you've gone through a hailstorm, possibly ingested stuff down an engine, there is a chance you might lose an engine. Trying to do a single engine go around um, with out of radome is a very interesting proposition. I hmm. don't know whether you'd necessarily be able to guarantee you'd have a performance to clear terrain. You probably have good perform enough performance sea level on a on a on a flat environment. But if you're up in the mountains of uh, where this was and um you know you've got terrain concerns as well, that you know might just impact on your uh, thought process. Impact? No. And speci- uh, speaking of uh, impact and uh, flat <laughs> plates, uh, let's look again at this slide, uh, the okay. <laughs> windscreen, uh, which is completely... Now, windscreens are made up of several layers of, of uh, tempered glass, and this uh, the, the one that's outermost is kind of a very thin layer that's designed to do what we see here in the picture, which is just shatter. And uh, it's um, there to protect the rest of the windscreen. So nothing, you know, it's not going to like break in, not like your car windshield. It's not going to kind of come into the, uh, aircraft is still going to be with, uh, able to withstand pretty high air loads. The problem is, as you can see from this picture, it's not a very clear way to see things outside the aircraft. You're, you're kind of restricted as far as your visibility is concerned. I imagine that makes landing a bit difficult. I would imagine it would be. Yeah, uh, and uh, also because the hail can often destroy aerials, so your instrument landing system uh, might, serviceability might be in doubt since the aerials involved might have been ripped off or at least Mm -hmm. damaged. Um, And uh, doing a visual landing, if you can't see out the front, you're going to be squinting out of the out of the next window along, which doesn't give you a very good view uh, of the runway. So, you know, you you really have you're going to put yourself in a really nasty position when you uh, are trying to bring an airplane in with this kind of damage. And likely, I'm just guessing, but likely you'll be uh, hand flying it uh, at the same time. Oh, most certainly I would have thought, yes. So 
Not yeah. a not an easy situation to deal with for sure. No, no. Uh, so I, you know, in one respect, I, I wonder why the crew ended up in that damn hailstorm. Uh, having mm. been through it, seems they did a, a fine job getting the airplane safely on the ground. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well done. Kudos nice to them recovery. for that bit. Yeah, I agree. Are you going back to E? Uh, yeah, let's go back to E. Thank you, Liz. Um, this was sent in by Radio Roger, and uh, the and as he teased, Radio Roger teased at the beginning um, that they they're thinking that uh, perhaps one of the people that died in this incident was Gold's Gym owner uh, Rainer Schaller, a German uh, businessman, and uh, they have confirmed that uh, he, he was amongst the uh, passengers aboard this uh, Piaggio Avanti uh, aircraft, which is an unusual looking airplane. It's kind of pretty. Um, oh, I love a, the look of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's got uh, pusher propped um, PT6s. I'm not sure there are many airplanes out there that have that kind of configuration using the, uh, the, the turboprop uh, Pratt & Whitney PT6s. No. Uh, and they say it makes a really unusual sound, too, it's probably. Very distinctive. Because of the way We waves. have a few that fly into Farnborough, and I've seen mm-hmm. uh, them airborne, and they, they are, I think they're a, 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 an attractive, as you say, looking airplane. Certainly mm-hmm. an eye-catching one uh, yeah. with that canard uh, on the front as well. Always makes yeah. me think it has a mustache. Yes, I like the nice white mustache. I don't know why. Yeah, um, uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Ian, uh, the uh, lovely captain who chatted to us about his uh, alcoholism. Mm-hmm. He uh, started off his uh, civil career in flying those and, oh. uh, for the company. So uh, interesting. Um, he he loved it. He loved flying it. It was great. He said, but they're not. They're not. They're not. Uh, they produced them for years, so I don't know how. No, old this yeah, one they stopped. Was. I think they went into bankruptcy. There was some weird stuff going on with the mm. company. So you know, Golds. Have you been to the gyms very often? Well, it's a popular chain here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that uh, he started it. I think he bought it uh, several years after after the the um, uh, fitness um, business was going along. Um, I don't know that much about it. Stuff, do you? Uh, about the business side of things? No. Yeah. Okay. Mm-mm. He seems to have a. I had a membership of, uh, to the Gold's Gym at one point, but that's as much as I can tell you about it. Yeah, they have a lot. They have weights and stuff. Uh, I've heard. Um, yeah. So she's uh, a very attractive uh, lady on his arm who mm-hmm. even dresses up as an air hostess. So. Yeah, um, she. Uh, I think, and uh, and I think at least one or maybe more of their children were also um, lost. In this uh, accident, uh, Costa Rican oh. authorities said Saturday they located the aircraft wreckage in the ocean, 17 miles from Limon Airport. Two bodies, uh, along with luggage, had been recovered, but the bodies hadn't yet been identified. Although since this was written, uh, they have um, uh, recovered all of the bodies and identified them, I'm pretty sure. Uh, we talked about the plane, the nine-seat Italian-made Piaggio P-180 Avanti. Um, lost communication with the control tower and uh, was out of the water. It crashed into the water. Now, the interesting thing, um, yeah, you're showing the uh, the flight path, Liz, on ADSB uh, ADS Exchange or ADSB Exchange, I think, one of those. Um, I, the interesting thing here is that um, if if you look at the the track of the flight. It just continues in a very nice controlled descent out over the water, kind of getting 
you know, um, prepared to come back in to land at the airport. And I've taken, uh, taken a little, uh, yellow highlighter here. And let me see if, uh, if we can like zoom in just to the, um, to the, well, here, let me see if I can do it there. No, go back, please. Okay. Where it says zero feet. Boom. Yeah. So on the side here from ADSB exchange, um, there's a, in the left-hand column, there is a, and I don't know if this is just a, a blip or, um, you know, if it wasn't really happening or not, but there's a, um, item there listed FMS select, I believe. And it actually shows, um, information from the, uh, auto flight system, uh, that it gets transmitted through uh, ADSB, and I don't think that here in the U.S. they the controllers have the capability to see this, but I think in Europe they do. I don't know. You can. I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, yes, Nick. I do, and yes, they can at certain air traffic control centers. And that was when I was working, and that's a few years down the road now. So, uh, yeah, uh, you, they can see what you've selected on the autopilot as the heading. So, if they clear you to an altitude. They can actually see if you've selected the correct altitude to descend to. And a correct and, um, Yeah, exactly. And in this case, what are we reading here? Well, zero feet. So zero the wound the FMS, told his autopilot to take him to sea level. Yes. And about 850 feet or so is when uh, the, uh, the, the the next frame of this uh, data shows that uh, I think it, uh, they spun it all the way up to 8,000 feet and they kind of started moving away from uh, the sea, but um, very rapidly uh, ascending. And they're thinking maybe they got into an accelerated stall or something. And and uh, they're, they're still investigating, of course, exactly what happened here in uh, in this um, in this crash. Yeah, it's uh, interesting because it seems to be quite a controlled uh, descent. Uh, 850 feet is quite low for, I mean, you should only be like three miles from the threshold at that point. Yeah. Uh, and they're still and then, about 17 nautical miles away, I think. Yeah. The, ne- the next is, uh, you know, 150 feet higher and 50 knots slower. So he's done something to reduce speed and increase his altitude. Now, if you if you suddenly realize that you've gone way below a safe altitude, you might uh, over control. Uh, so there is a possibility that it done exactly that, Jeff. Over control mm-hmm. or just do select flight level change perhaps and not change anything with the power settings? I don't know. Yeah, that might be. An, yeah, that's another. Whatever it is, he seems to have uh, co- been correcting his altitude, but his speed has dropped off dramatically. So Yeah, I uh, think that, that part of the approach, I think, is supposed to be about 3,000 feet. Um, yeah, not right. zero. Yeah, or yeah. zero, yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, briefly, he acquired Gold's Gym in 2020 when it was in Chapter 11 bankruptcy after oh. the pandemic. So, oh, Okay. So very recent, recent, recent owner. Uh, new yes. owner of uh, Gold's Gym. Well, it's yeah, a shame. But, uh, very sad. Very sad with his family, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But again, we're we're just you know doing a little. Who, who was flying it? Here. Do we know if he was qualified or whether it he was had a sixty-six-year-old Swiss pilot? That's all we know. Okay, sixty-six. Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Liz, say sixty-six. Oh, saying, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. 
At I'm, least that's according almost to almost sixty-four. That's okay. <laughs> you're, the, still got, you're still got a couple. I don't know if it says it in any of these articles, but that's what Wikipedia says. Okay. Uh oh. Very interesting. Okay. La- last item. And the last item in our news. A uh, hot air balloonist. Excuse me. From that was uh, it was a parrot saying, "Polly, want a cracker?" Oh, uh, uh, is that right? Okay. A hot air balloonist from Schindel, uh, I guess the uh, Netherlands, uh, or Schindel, Schindel. I don't know. Has to pay a father and a son about sixty-five thousand euros in compensation for the death of three rare parrots when he flew too close to their home during a race three and a half years ago. The loud noise made by the balloon burner scared the birds to death, according Must to... Must have been a Norwegian blue. They're mm-hmm. very exactly. prone to being stunned. Yeah. I mm-hmm. don't know. Yes. In 2018, an interim <laughs> judge... All were... <laughs> oh, okay. Fighting for the fields. Fighting for the fields. I missed that entirely. You're earning for the fields. <laughs> In 2018, an interim judge already ruled that the parents Listen, had died of Masha shock. From the, Netherlands the parents. Says you but the parents. Uh, ordered additional research to determine whether the balloonist in question was responsible. And Na- uh, Masha... Uh, who is uh, a, a, a Dutch person. Our balloon correspondent. Uh, and our balloon correspondent. Uh, she said that my pronunciation of that uh, place, she said, nailed it. Now, she might be using a little <laughs> bit of sarcasm. I'm not sure. Thank but you for the balloon correspondent way, nice, uh, from nice Clogland. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the area expensive parrots. Yeah, the, the area, Damn obviously, right. the area around the parrot keeper's home There's was no off limits lose. during the race. The uh, Schindel balloonist came within 15 meters of the house. The other balloonists did not come closer than 70 meters. The court therefore concluded that the balloonist was responsible for the bird's deaths. And that was me thinking ballooning was a quiet and indeed silent uh, mode of the flight. are pretty loud. Yeah. yeah. Especially when those Anyone burners thinks are... they're going to go up in a hot air balloon and have a beautiful, quiet, and peaceful journey. No. Yeah. You like... You're like 15 inches from an enormous set of burners. They're going to probably frazzle your hair and um, deafen you. And you thought we were full of hot air. (laughs) Um, The man has to compensate the father and son for the value of the birds. Two endangered hyacinth macaws worth a total of 40,000 euros and a third parrot with 1250 euros oh obviously not not a very important uh special one uh he also has to pay another fourteen thousand euros in compensation to cover the legal costs and because the killed birds can produce no more offspring yeah it's hard to do when you're dead your losses yeah these don't sound like very robust parrots if they were able to be scared to death by the sound of a hot air balloon yeah. yeah, I must I must admit. Mm. And they, if they were that fragile, why didn't he keep them in a padded cell? Padded cell? <laughs> well, well it sounds like, you know, a passing motorcycle with <laughs> backfire have might have been house? enough to kill him. Yeah. But there you go. <laughs> I have a certain amount of sympathy for the hot air balloon really? passenger pilot. Really? Person. Hmm. <laughs> Very unusual. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, can we not come up with any more jokes about hyacinth hyacinth macaws? Hyacinth macaws. Uh, it wasn't uh, Mrs. Hyacinth uh, bu- bouquet. bouquet. Yeah, yeah, hyacinth. she was yeah. hyacinth bouquet. Uh, keeping up appearances. Exactly. Yes, very yeah. much so. Having a candlelight Great. supper. Great. If, show, if yes. the balloon had been a bit 
higher synth, he would have got away with it. Mm-hmm. That's oh. true. Mm. All right. Is All it right. Uh, too late for me to do a rim shot? I think never, it is. Never too late. Never too late. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? Oh, thankfully, it is now time for us to move to our getting to know us segment, uh, the time of the show where we kind of get all caught up with what has been happening between shows. And uh, let's see, uh, Stephanie, Yes. What, uh, what have you been up to? I was trying to find a photo to put into the thing here. For a little you. too late for that now, Steph. <laughs> is it ever too late, though? Yes. Really? It is. <laughs> I just this is one. very efficient. What did you add it to? <laughs> Getting to know us. Okay. Um, well, I'm... I guess I'd have to quit Evernote for me to really? actually it see it. Really? It doesn't Yeah, it doesn't automatically uh, sync. But here, that's okay. Here, no, no, that's okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna close Evernote and then I'm gonna open it back up, and then I'm going to. Um, oh, that's this a good is picture. Totally worth it, I promise. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and there's no intestines on that one. Uh, no. All right, let's see. And I'm going to share this. I've gone right Actually, here. It looks like an artificial horizon. Looks very good. Is that what it's supposed to look like? Window, boom, share. On the uh, metal, you mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Anyway, so there we go. All right. So what have I been up to? This was last weekend. Um, Sunday. This was at our, at the local airport, Charlotte Douglas International. They had, I think the weekend before was the runway 5K or 4K or whatever it was in Atlanta. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a 5K, some, but it was only 4K It was a 5K, 5K that they Robert. really did 4K of. That's right. Um, so the following weekend was the 5K on the runway at Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Um, it was rather chilly that morning. I think it was something like, I forget, I think I sent a picture with the uh, temperature like upper 30s Fahrenheit mm. or something, uh, not not particularly warm. Um, yeah, it was it was actually much warmer in Canada that day. I it was. think that's very unfair. Uh, but a nice morning for a run. Um, they did a really nice job of just actually they had this triple seven parked out right by the start and finish area. Um, they said their only request was please just don't touch the airplane, but you can go around take pictures. You know, they had someone standing there no that was scolding the, the very person who did, in fact, try to touch the, the aircraft. But Well, yeah, it's a, it's a 737, <laughs> so if you touch it, something will fall off. It's a triple seven. Oh, is it? Yeah. What were those funny engine pods? Mm, I think it's just the... But it's the same company, so same rule applies. <laughs> so Liz was asking if you threw any coins in the... Uh, I, there, there was some encouragement to do so from people <laughs> who won't be named, but I did not... Um, so I didn't okay, think that'd be very, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I did that with my, with my dad. We got out there pretty early and I think the race started at like seven 30 in the morning, like right as the sun was coming up, which was really nice. That's right. Um, He's the one that signed you guys up for it. Yeah. Right? He signed me up for it. I didn't have any say in this this year. <laughs> he just took the initiative, <laughs> which is great. Love it. And, um, They've redesigned the course the past couple of years. It's actually completely on the runways now. It used to be in the past. Part of it was on the runway. I was going to say, if it's on a runway, how can you redesign it? You just go up a runway and down a runway. Well, there's multiple runways at the airport. So that's whichever runway they pick. But um, no, it used to to go along one of the runways, which is now inactive and closed. Um, And then it would 
head down a taxiway and go out of the airport and actually back around to the, the finish area. But now it's all entirely contained on the uh, West Runway 36 left 18 right, um, which everyone hates anyway. So um, if you happen to be flying into Charlotte early in the morning, the day that race is occurring, no chance that you're going to get stuck out on the west side of the airport. Um, so that's interesting. They that do the bonus. same thing uh, in Atlanta. They always put it on the the single runway that's just mm-hmm. far away, you know, the south it's runway. terrible no to one land likes, on because you can't it takes off and out of taxi there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, did not run a personal best, wasn't really planning to, um, but it was only uh, about But you had the shiniest teeth, Steph. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> was about 20 seconds off, so uh, I'll take that. It was good. Came in second place in my age group by one Woo-hoo! second. Yeah, I thought that was right great. Me. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, and I think eighth overall female, so not not terrible. Yeah, Yeah, it's really nice. Um, I think my dad had like a five minute personal best time for his five k, which he usually just walks. Five k in five minutes, bloody hell! That's five fast. Five minutes faster than his previous. Oh, sorry, (laughs) very fast. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think he was fifty two minutes or so, something like that. so it was a really nice, nice, lovely start to Saturday. Unfortunately, um, after we got back home, got the news that um, my grandfather had passed away. So yeah, that was quite that was sad. Very um, sad. From, you know, a nice start to the day to much more somber one. Um, not unexpected, but, you know, he'd been. Um, it's quite young, I think, right? Quite young. 90, 96 years young. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, but slowly, he actually used to listen to the show quite a bit um, a number mm. of years ago when we were doing it live. So um, he was quite tech savvy even for being we're still doing a bit on the older side (laughs) well he used to watch it live okay gotcha we still do it live he did not watch it live (laughs) okay recently Uh, Um, i understand yes yes um and then um you know so took some time with with all of that um but we still did go to had tickets to the panthers and tampa bay bucks game the next day which um, we ended up attending, thought it would be a nice thing to get outside and have some fresh air. And it was a nice day. It's like 70 degrees and the Panthers actually won. So that was Whoa, a surprise. Wow. <laughs> well, well, Both teams are the Buccaneers. Oh, really? Both teams. Mm-hmm. Tom yeah. Brady. He's getting divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, Tom Brady's this, not uh, American him. soccer. Football. American I mean. soccer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what it is. And um, other than that, just um, working a whole lot. I didn't do anything this weekend. It's been kind of. Gray, uh, gray and dreary here as well. So, doing some projects inside. Put up a um, a folding table or a table to fold clothes on in the laundry room that can kind of fold away behind the door, so it doesn't take up a lot of space because it's not a big room in the house. Um, oh, the exciting came with, life! It came with you about lead. I know adulting. It came with uh, <laughs> about the worst instructions I've ever seen for assembly. So, I mean, if you weren't particularly um, skilled at that sort of thing. I think it would be a struggle. It was even worse than like IKEA instructions. Oh um, wow. Which actually have you know sand a lot. Yeah. I don't know. That's tough. These were these were just like tiny little like thumbnail pictures of like each step. And it just said, attach screw. <laughs> okay. Any any particular place? <laughs> any you know, it didn't tell you which screws to <laughs> use. It didn't yeah. tell you, you know, kind of just had to figure it out. But it wasn't that difficult, so got that taken care of and a couple other small projects and, yeah, trying to make most of doing some inside things while it's not so nice outside. And she could be with us, which is great. That's it. That's all I got. All right. Very good. We'll uh, move over to Captain Nick. Um, you've been busy. 
Uh, yeah, I had a busy week, and uh, it's all gone quiet since then. But uh, uh, really, honestly, it centred around uh, one particular day when I was asked by um, Plain Talking UK, uh, I, I should get paid for their damned adverts, to go and interview uh, an old Air Force mate of mine, uh, Rick Peacock Edwards, RPE, who has finished his second book now called The Nat Boys. And rather than me go on about it, I think the best thing is to play the audio because I think I go on quite long enough during that. Hi there, Jeff. It's uh, Captain Nick here. And I am sitting uh, in a very historic uh, airfield uh, in a wonderful old flying club that looks like something out of the... Uh, Second World War, quite honestly. Um, we're at White Waltham Airfield, and the flying club is the West London uh, Aero Club. Uh, it stretches back to about 1928, I think, and uh, actually White Waltham is the home of the Air Transport Auxiliary, all those fantastic ladies that flew during the Second World War delivering uh, RAF aircraft out of the factories, direct to their squadrons, Indeed, I'm going to go with my phone and take a picture of a one they've got on the wall here. It's uh, a short Sterling, uh, which is an incredible aeroplane with enormously long undercarriage, so its, it's nose sits way high in the air. And beside it is the most tiny lady. Uh, she was barely five foot tall, uh, standing by one of the main wheels, which is probably bigger than her. And uh, that's one of the aircrafts that she flew. So uh, I'm, I'm sure Liz will put that up while I'm uh, talking. Anyway, um, I was here to chat to uh, Rick Peacock Edwards, the author of a new book called uh, The Nat Boys. Uh, and um, Nev and I have just finished interviewing him. Um, we then chatted to a couple of A320 guys, uh, Jonathan and Chris who uh, were here just studying. They live locally, and this is a nice place for them to come and do a bit of study before their simulator tomorrow because uh, they're being retreaded by BA uh, onto the A320. Lucky boys. Um, so they're going to fly a real aeroplane for a change. Um, but more importantly, um, uh, Tommy from the United States has come across to England um, I don't know what on earth possessed him to come across uh, on a little motorcycling holiday for a week. He picked uh, the nicest part of the year for us. The weather is always guaranteed to be warm and sunny uh, in um, late October. So I'm beginning to wonder <laughs> what Tommy was thinking because it's been a stinky, horrible, wet day. Anyway, uh, we managed to use this opportunity to get together as he... Um, drives around London uh, visiting various museums. I'm sure he'll tell us about that um, before heading back stateswards. First of all, lovely to meet you, Tommy. Thank you very much indeed for coming us. And I'm sure you have a few words for Jeff and the crew and the APG listening audience. Good afternoon, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Uh, wonderful to meet Captain Nick here uh, this afternoon uh, at a place that definitely puts our American FBOs to shame. Uh, the food was wonderful, the building is amazing, and terribly historic. Uh, I escaped uh, to the UK on a Boeing, unfortunately, um, to do a little motorcycle riding and visit all the museums that I hadn't got yet gotten to. I've been to Duxford, uh, the Fleet Air Arm Museum in Yeovil, 
as well as some auto museums, the Haynes Auto Museum and the British Motor Heritage Trust Museum outside of Birmingham. And uh, here through the weekend, and it was lovely to say hello to Captain Nick and meet Neville Bounds. Um, and uh, so have a wonderful afternoon, everybody. That's very good, Tommy. You think you're going to get away with that? That's brilliant. Well, what motorcycle have you been riding? Uh, I unfortunately exclusively ride BMW GS, uh, GS Adventures. I own one in the States and uh, have ridden on various continents on, on a 1200. And it's a wonderful motorcycle to travel in any weather, including a slightly damp uh, afternoon here in England. Okay, so uh, European motorcycle. And uh, which airline are you flying? I am flying British Airways, Captain Nick, because they have an excellent flight from, uh, from Baltimore to Heathrow. Okay, now the only answer, and I don't know if we're going to get three out of three, what aircraft are you flying home on? I am flying home on a, uh, a Boeing Dreamliner. I, I, want to make, I want to make sure I pronounce that correctly, Dreamliner 787-8 uh, uh, series. Damn, I thought we were going to get the three out of three. Anyway, look, uh, uh, Nev's here, so let's have a quick word with Nev. Hi, Nev. Yes, hi, guys. Hi, Nick. Uh, yeah, it's been a good day today, hasn't it? Really interesting interview with Rick. I always like coming out with Nick to interview some of his old military chums. Uh, it's a fascinating insight into the things that they got up to and the things that we can't broadcast either. <laughs> And there's plenty of that. But uh, no, it's great to meet you, Tommy, and thank you for coming to see us today. And uh, shame the weather has deteriorated considerably, otherwise we would have been outside. But as always, uh, when we do these interviews, lunch is important. And we have just had our lunch, haven't we? Absolutely. Uh, and I had the all-day breakfast, which I can thoroughly recommend to anyone who's coming to White Walton. All right, brilliant. Lovely to meet you, Tommy. Thanks very much, indeed, for making the effort to come out and see us. And uh, back to you in the studio, Jeff. Well, thank you, uh, Captain Nick, and thank you for not including a picture of uh, uh, Neville um, in our uh, <laughs> yes. slideshow. <laughs> I think we all know what Neville looks like. <laughs> we don't know what Jonathan looks like, even though he provided us with a picture, which is uh, fine because, you know, it's he looks like the world's youngest captain. Uh, and I'm sure it's just because, you know, as you get on, on a bit, you know, the policemen get younger and younger until you wonder if they've actually uh, finished school. Uh, and that's a, <laughs> a bit the same with this fine chap. Um, he's sitting in the uh, flight deck of his A320, a uh, great picture, but he needed permission from uh, his company for us to uh, put it up uh, so we can't. But if, if that does arrive by the time we bring the show out, then uh, perhaps uh, we'll better put it in the notes. But I noticed that beside him in on the flight deck, I said, good Lord, I know that guy. The, the chap sitting in the first officer seat is not a pilot at all. He was my um, aircrew manager uh, when I was with my old airline. Uh, uh, David is his Christian name uh, and a lovely bloke who uh, did his best to uh, put up with all my foibles and look after me through my various medical mishaps. And, um, uh, you know, really was a fine chap, ex-cabin uh, crew, who uh, did very well to get into a managerial position and managed to keep his sense of humour uh, and uh, look after us uh, well, whereas some of the other managers had a bit of a bad reputation. David, I always thought, was uh, one of the you know true 
wonderful people you meet in uh, life who uh, deserve to be where he is, and good luck to him. And I see he has moved airlines since he uh, now works for Big Bird Airlines. So uh, there you go. It was lovely to see him in the picture. That was an unexpected treat. But it was lovely to meet Jonathan and his friend Chris, uh, who were there studying. And uh, uh, I've subsequently heard that Jonathan got through his sims without any problems. So well done, old chap. Brilliant. Didn't expect anything else, but you never know. We're always uh, delighted to hear that everything's gone smoothly. And, of course, fantastic to meet Tommy, who is undoubtedly back in the States now. Uh, and uh, I hope weather didn't put you off. Uh, you managed to get a picture of us, of yourself, sorry, beside some uh, old aeroplanes. God knows what that thing is. It looks like an Electra, but... I don't know. Did hunting ever fly a Lockheed Electra, or perhaps it's a, I don't know, Viscount or a Britannia? It doesn't doesn't immediately look obvious. I think the paintwork gives it away, but sorry, hides hides it a bit. Hmm. But I'm not, not certain sure. what that thing is. What do you reckon? Is it an Electra? The, the windscreen looks more like um, like a British. Um, it does actually. Now you come to mention it, so uh, we're a couple of four engine airplanes. If it's if it's a Britannia, I think it probably is, and that's what my father flew at one point. Anyway, mm. by the by, enough of that. That was it. Was a, a brilliant day and very nice to see everyone. So thanks very much indeed uh, for pitching up. Very good. Does he want to talk about the cover art before Did you, you do your thing? Do you want to talk about the cover art before we move to what's been happening with me? Nick? Who, me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you gave me a, a wonderful title. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure I gave with. you that title. Um, well, Liz did. Okay, somebody did. It wasn't me. <laughs> somebody did. Um, Ball nut Guilty tug. I think we could have gone various ways with ball nut tug. Are we seeing which way you went? Well, yes. I try to keep it simple, and I've got a tug in there mm -hmm. and yeah. a ball and uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes. Giant and I'm sure nut. something in there is a nut. Uh, and uh, we've managed to uh, we've put it in. Would you, do you know the airport mm. with all those mountains behind? Well, would it be um, the uh, Las Vegas? No, I think it's the other side of the world. I think I, th I oh. think it's Basra. Oh, okay. Muhammad probably knows. Uh, yeah. If Rick sees it, then perhaps he can confirm. But, or Muhammad uh, uh, in the uh, in the live audience might uh, mm -hmm. recognize that. He might. Yes. Uh, there, there. The tug actually obscures a C seventeen that was, in fact, on that taxiway. Uh, hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, the beast, the um, the tug is obviously from that handling agent, uh, Dinata. And as we can see, it's uh, it's the number two ball nut tug. So um, there you that, go. That's that blue purple. Uh, what is that exactly? Orb. An, an that's orb. A, that's a, uh, a, a very shiny ball bearing. Oh like really? A yeah. Ring pop. Do Did you, you do some things? some nope, photoshopping? It came. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well. Yeah, I know. I just work? thought <laughs> there's a suitable something to put in the vacant end of that. Hmm. Uh, not okay. looks, uh, <laughs> looks very interesting. I don't know. It just reminds me of something. I'm just not sure what it is, but no, I, I know best, <laughs> best kept yourself. I think yeah. Jeff, yeah. no, it reminds me of those, um, do you remember those ring pops? The, like kids. Yeah. 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 
that yeah. the, exactly. That's what not really where I was going, but thank I you. I know, for, but I was trying to keep it a family show. <laughs> thank you, you for uh, helping out. Yeah. There you go. All right. Another beautiful job on the uh, artwork. Thank you, uh, Nick. Uh, yeah. Was that the welcome, one so. where I thought that I was going to have to do it, perhaps? Yeah, or maybe that no, was the no, one. No, no the, the one before. Yeah, the, before. yeah, okay. that's true. Anyway, well, thank you very much for that. That's, uh, that's what awesome. What have you been doing, Kathy? What have yeah. I been doing, uh, Liz is asking. Well, uh, between the last show, I mentioned it on the last show, I was going to uh, <laughs> head on down to... Uh, South Texas, uh, flew into San you, Antonio. You uh, suffered some turbulence, uh, Jeff? No, we were actually just sitting on the ground at the gate when I took this picture. <laughs> <laughs> I was just happy to have a seat on the uh, on the airplane. And uh, oh, it was an exit enough. row seat. And uh, I'm very excited about it, obviously. Uh, it was an Airbus, uh, or is an Airbus A321. And uh, headed down to uh, San Antonio, met up with dispatcher Tom. Dugan, uh, uh, APG community member, and he sent us in feedback. And there's there's Tom sitting right next to me in our grandstand seats at turn 15 at the oh, wow. Circuit of the Americas, or what they like to call COTA, um, yeah, just outside of Austin, Texas, where the U.S. Grand Prix was taking place. And I flew down on a, you know, we I, I finished my uh trip on wednesday i believe we recorded that night yep, wednesday, wednesday night, night yeah. and then the next day um got a not a great night's sleep uh not very long but uh who cares right i'm not flying the airplane i'm just flying on the airplane so uh headed down met up with tom at the airport and then i met um uh, mark mitchum um he goes by mike echo because uh he does that abbreviation thing because he's an indianapolis center controller and um, I guess Tom and Mark had met, um, I think, at the very first um, uh, U.S. Grand Prix in Austin back in 2012. They were celebrating 10 years uh, this weekend or this past weekend. And um, so met him. He had rented a car. We all piled into the car, uh, me into the back seat. <laughs> it was very tight, um, but it was it was a cool car. And uh, we headed up to, uh, well, the first thing we did, you know, you know you're with a, a group of uh, like-minded people when the first thing you do after you pull away from the airport, before you go up to New Braunfels, where your hotel is, stop you stop. Stop airplanes? No. Oh, we, we went to the Hoppy Monk. Um, I knew it. Uh, where we we had some nice beers and a little bit of uh, you know appetizer kind of stuff, and then we got back in the car and headed up the road to uh, New Braunfels, where we stayed at the the Faust um, Hotel and Brewery, all in one. I mean, what's better? And uh, we stagger right back to your room. But yeah, stagger back to the room. Yeah, and never had that much to drink, as far as I can remember. Of course, I don't remember a lot. Um, but uh, we, the next day, went to uh, the track, Coda, and uh, saw the uh, free practice one. But we didn't stay for free practice two uh, because um, What's they've in been, that slide? What's that slide? Oh, up? this slide right here, Liz, is the um, observation tower. And um, it looks like some kind of a, like a mythical winged, almost like a phoenix um, mm. uh, coming up from. I don't, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, what's going on there with the design, but it's uh, an observation tower where you can pay, I think it was $35 after standing in line for quite a long time. We did not, we did not do this. You take an elevator to the top and it's a big observation deck up there and you can take in the whole track. Um, 
those red things uh, hanging off of it uh, are just um, architectural detail. And if you, if I had more of the picture and you went off to the right, if you could possibly see it, that becomes kind of the roof of a like an amphitheater um, over to the right. So it's a really interesting. Oh, so it's design. not the Superman ride at. Uh Seven flags, or no. is it five flags? Six, like six, six flags. You're, you're six bracketing. Flags. There you go. <laughs> Close. Random number of flags. Yeah. Uh, but um, anyway. It looks very, like one of those slides that you would like ride down in a uh, potato yeah, sack on. You'd have to be very yeah. careful, though, because in between some of those, like if you started up toward the top mm. and you started going down, as it makes that um, that radius uh, to more to level out, there are some like pipes that just start, so it uh, would be very ooh, painful. That would be uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, yep. Not a great slide. No, that. you obviously thought slide. about it. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, lots of stuff going on there at the park. Um, you know, between races, and they had like historic um, cars out there on the track, um, making a heck of a lot more noise than uh, the current hybrid um, era of uh, Formula One cars. I'm learning a lot. I'm still a newbie in Formula One, and um, I had never heard how loud some of these cars are be, You know, in the pre-hybrid era, You know, the V12s and the V8s. I mean, they make a racket. And um, the hybrid cars are- So you were leaving are, the track to go get some barbecue. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Before Liz uh, interrupted me and rudely asked me what- you. Yeah, rudely. Yes. Um, we uh, didn't stay for free practice number two on Friday because we wanted to, they, they've been doing this for so long. They have this routine and Friday, they always go and uh, get some good barbecue at, uh, in Lockhart, uh, Texas. And, uh, just about everywhere you look ar around there, they have a, a barbecue place, uh, and many of them very famous. And we went to this place called Smitty's market where you, um, get your meat uh, in one room and they just, pile it in some butcher, brown butcher paper kind of stuff and kind of fold it up and hand it to you. And then you go to the next room, you need to pay. And, and uh, if you look really, really hard, you might actually be able to find like sort of vegetable stuff like sides. And, but it's not really, it's not all a major part of the uh, thing. The experience is eating all that meat. And they don't give you any fork either. No forks allowed at Smitty's. And um, anyway, so... We did the uh, barbecue, ate way too much, um, but uh, the, I'm glad uh, we had that experience. Went back to Nimbromfels at the hotel. Next day, we saw free practice three, and then we stayed, and then they had a big gap for some reason, and they pushed the qualifications to kind of uh, early evening, um, almost around the time the sun was setting or getting close to setting. Um, a little bit cooler, which is nice because during the daytime, the temperatures were in the 80s and that would be what about um 27 28, 28 yeah. something like that maybe a little bit more uh celsius and then um then we went where did we go that night i think we went back to new Braunfels and uh i'm not sure we either ate at the hotel or we ate somewhere um and I really liked new Braunfels in that area it's just really a nice little quaint little town and um a bunch of places to go nearby within walking distance of the hotel. And then, of course, uh, the last day, well, not the last day, uh, the the last day of the race weekend, Sunday, uh, we watched the race. And it was just an got interesting a, got a video here? thing. Oh, I do have a video, Liz. Let me uh, say this is, again, we were in, uh, turn, uh, in the stands at turn 15 
which uh, allowed us to see kind of the end of the back straight, turns 12, 13, 14, and 15. So it was a great place to watch some of the race. Street, but I'm not sure he'll uh, is... go for the dive bomb at this point and no, too far back on George Russell. But a word on 7 and 8, Pierre Gasly and Yuki Sonoda. This is Toward the end of the race. There's a, I don't know, what's this guy's name again? Matt something. <laughs> and Hamilton. I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was a huge flag. These things, um, these flags, Liz is remarking that the flag was a big flag. I think they're almost like the size of a football field. Um, everything said, is larger in Texas. Everything is larger in Texas, mm-hmm. including my headache after the, the long day of drinking. Um, <laughs> but no, just kidding. Um, had a great time. It was interesting experience being at a real race and kind of there are a lot of things that you that are going on that you just don't see when you're just watching a race on Didn't you say the food and television. drink was pretty pricey? Oh, yeah. Pricey, uh, Liz is asking about the uh, concessions there. Uh, yeah, the captive audience, they uh, and they think, hey, Formula One's an expensive sport, so uh, pay up if you want an $18 hot dog or an $18 beer. We got plenty of that for you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was definitely not a cheap play. But, you know, how often do you go Part to a Formula One race? Yeah. Well, Tom Dugan and Mark Mitchell, they go – Every year, but uh, I'm not sure if I don't know what I'm doing next year. But I'd, I'd like to go back. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Tom, for if you, if you making me RV, part of your group. It was. Is uh, there a and, place to park your RV if you went in your RV? Yeah, there are places to park RVs, Liz. Uh, there's a camping area right nearby. So who knows? Ooh, Maybe yeah. that'll be a destination in the future after a, a transition to yeah, the you RV can life. Take your own beer. Set, mm. set up a consta- concession stand and make some money. I'm mm. sure Formula One would love that. So Probably not the same as so not the same as NASCAR then, where they just let you bring your own cooler that fits under your yeah, seat. Yeah, they didn't allow that. But I have to say, it was pretty pretty um, expeditious the way that you got in, and the, the I guess in years past you'd have to take they'd have to look at your guy had a, a backpack with a laptop in it because uh, you know between you know, things going on in the track, I'd find a place to do some editing of the show. Um, so dedicated. So I had this, uh, all this stuff with me. And uh, now you just go in, you use your, um, your, your Apple wallet or whatever your phone has and has the tickets on there. It's all electronic. And it, they take this other little phone thing and match it up against it. And it somehow communicates and says, okay, you're legit. You come in and then you just walk by these little vertical um, antennas, I guess, tubes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I guess it detects, it has some kind of a circuitry to detect whether yeah, you have like not, a weapon or something. I'm not sure how they work, but the NFL has the same system. Yeah. I'm just like, how does it, because I had screening. a lot of like metal things in there and everything else. And apparently they were not suspicious metal things. I guess not. Yeah. I, I walked right through every, every time. So that was, uh, that was nice. Um, have you tried looking at yourself uh, in the dark? Do you glow now? I probably do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. That's how they did it. All right. Well. Anyway, then you came home and you flew a trip. Came home on Monday. Uh, that was the travel day, and uh, had to ride the jump seat of an A three twenty one or three twenty one of those uh, back to Atlanta, and then the next day um, left on a three day trip. So just got back from that. So it's been a busy week and a half. Well, you know what time it is now? It is now the coffee fun time. Here we go. 
Oh, you didn't go down to the the low register this oh, yeah. time. Oh, well. oh, yeah. All right. Uh, coffee fund. It's your opportunity, opportunity to help us out financially if uh, you have the resources to do so. And we call these group of fine folks our Coffee Fund Cadre or Coffee Bar Club. And if you want to uh, join them, uh, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and you'll find information about how you can do that. And since the last show, we have one contribution via the Coffee Fund Classic method from Richard Adams. We have others that use the Coffee Fund Classic um, method as well uh, and on a recurring base, uh, basis. I'm in the basement basis. And uh, the other way to uh, become part of the contribution thing is to become a patron of the show via Patreon. And we don't have any new patrons this week. So please check it out by heading over again to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. And now, time for some feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right, let's start off with some timely feedback. Timely feedback uh, from Captain Craig. And uh, let's just start with this one. Hey, APG crew and uh, listeners, this is uh, Captain slash Lieutenant Craig. Hope you're all doing well. Um, Just sending in feedback in regards to the last episode of 541, I believe, with the uh, Embraer that had a ball nut issue as well as a steering fail. Uh, As far as I can remember, it's been uh, some time now since I last flew the Embraer 175. But uh, it was uh, steer-by-wire for uh, the Embraer. And uh, I know uh, Miami Rick mentioned something about uh, a gear bypass pin or steer bypass pin. The uh, Embraer actually does not utilize that function. It has its own internal steer disconnect switch as well as a uh, flip-flop switch uh, down on the gear itself. So the uh, steer disconnect for the pilots are actually on the back side of the yoke, and they're almost shaped like a trigger on the uh, the ram horn yoke itself. That you press it, and it disconnects the steering. And it, the uh, rampers down on the ground also have a uh, little switch that they can flip on off um, to disengage the steering system. Um, there's been one or two times where, uh, we're having to wave the ramp crew back out or, uh, call them over to ops frequency to, uh, get them back out to flip that switch. Uh, cause, uh, we tried to, you know, start steering away and noticed that it wasn't working and found out that to be the culprit. Um, but speaking of, I, you guys were mentioning that, uh, you'd call a tug and, you know, get the aircraft towed in. I had a uh, a flight going into New Orleans one time where 
upon landing, um, we got a steer feel, or excuse me, steer fail, uh, ICAST message pop up. Um, and uh, luckily there's some high-speed taxiways um, off the runway that, you know, I could use the rudder pedals to steer the aircraft off. And then once uh, we pulled off the runway, um, my previous company, we had a GRG, a ground reset guide to uh, certain uh, malfunctions on the aircraft where the air crew could perform these functions via these checklists. And uh, if it fixed the issue, great. If not, then uh, you'd get maintenance involved. Um, but for this particular one uh, with the steer fail, you actually kind of hold down that steer disconnect trigger button on the yoke and hold down the tiller. Uh, it, it actually, in order to use the tiller and ember, you have to hold it down. Then you can turn it side to side to actuate the steering. Uh, so for this GRG, you hold that steer disconnect switch, push down on the tiller uh, for about five seconds and let go. And that kind of resets the system. In our case, it did not. Um, and if I remember correctly, also, there was a company memo that went out not too before this incident happened to me where um, they kind of expected you, if you had a steer fail issue, to actually just taxi the aircraft using uh, that free castering mode with the steering disengaged and using differential brake and thrust to uh, maneuver their aircraft. Um, so that's what I did to take it into the gate. Um, I was definitely a lot more cautious, a lot uh, slower in how fast I was taxiing because uh, once we got to our gate area, it was a hard 90 degree turn into the gate. Um, but yeah, using some uh, differential braking and thrust, I was able to steer the aircraft just fine. Um, so I didn't really have an issue with it. Um, I could see how it may uh, be more difficult uh, for uh, some pilots or in some airports or different scenarios. Uh, you know, can't speak to every situation, but in the situation I was in, I felt pretty comfortable and safe doing it and uh, was able to execute it just fine. So thought I'd throw that two cents out to you guys. I heard... Uh, Liz mentioned my name when this story came up on the last podcast. So uh, here you go. Hope you're all doing well, and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. Captain Craig, you're awesome. Thank you for uh, quickly uh, responding. Well, Lieutenant Craig. And, uh, well, Captain Civilian and Military Lieutenant just qualified Craig. on the C-17. And just got qualified on the C-17. And we have an update yeah, from him. Well he uh, sent mm-hmm. an uh, audio um uh, update on his progress in the in the military and um, but before we play that I'd like to uh, kind of just go over what he just went over apparently this free castering mode um, is not an unusual I mean well may not be a common thing but it's not unusual for them to operate in this kind of mode where I think most uh, of the airplanes that Nick and I have flown in the air transport world. I mean, you'd never do that. <laughs> it's not even no, like you, a, you an option. You might use it to squeeze the aircraft off on a high speed exit, which yeah. doesn't take a lot of turn just to get it clear of the runway. If you're feeling particularly benevolent, but generally speaking, we just stop in the middle of the runway and tunnel right. with everyone else. Yeah. So I kind of suspected that it might be something that, is particular to this 
particular aircraft and that it, it has a capability to, to do this. And mm. Anyway, so... Um, well, thanks. it must be pretty good to be able to get it all the way in onto the gate. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, yeah, that's some neat uh, braking it technique. Is. Well yeah. done, Craig. You know, yeah, thank you, Craig. Uh, that crew, um, so we can't really, you know, pimp them too much for that part of their flight where they ended up hitting the... Uh, anyway, it was the hydraulic issue with the brakes and everything else and their lack of response immediately to uh, actually they knew something was probably not right before they even took off. So, I mean, as far as that is concerned, you know, thumbs down, but uh, we we can give them, I guess, a little bit of uh, relief there on the taxiing after they got the thing on the ground. Anywho. You're a very generous chat. I know. Yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling generous today. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. And uh let's see. Let's uh play the update from Craig and see what he uh we should have done this in getting to know us, but here we go. Hey uh APG crew and listeners, it's uh Captain slash Lieutenant Craig again. Uh been uh pretty busy as of late, so that's why you haven't heard from me. Uh yes, I just Send in some feedback on the Embraer steering from 541. Um, but uh, my previous company I flew for, uh, that ended in, oh, I don't know now, uh, December of 21, I believe. Um, since then, uh, I think some of most of you have heard that I joined the uh, Air National Guard and uh, going to be flying the C-17. Uh, so... Last fall, I uh, went to OTS and uh, commissioned as a second lieutenant. And since then, uh, last December, I also took a validation course uh, through the Air Force's new program called Civil Path to Wings, uh, where they take uh, civilian pilots with pilot time, put them through a written exam, tabletop kind of question answer exam, and then a sim profile and based on your scores, they can stick you in uh, normal UPT, uh, like most Air Force pilots go through, or the new UPT 2.5. Or if you score uh, decent enough, you can go into Accelerated Path to Wings, which I believe is a eight-month T1-only uh, pilot training course. And then if you score high enough or have enough experience like I did, I went into, it's called uh, Air Force Fundamentals, AFF, and it's actually three months T1 SIM only uh, program. So we basically did a nav check, a trans check, and a, um, I guess, I forget. It's basically, they kind of broke it up into normal three groups um, of training, and we just did all in a T1 simulator uh, we actually had two flights in a T6. Uh, they were kind of like a fam ride. Uh, we didn't get a whole lot of stick time. It was just uh, for upset uh, recovery training. So we went up with the IP and uh, did some stalls and spins and recovered from those and kind of did a, a out and back, got some lunch in between. Uh, my class, there was only four of us. Uh, we were the third class to ever do this uh, AFF program. Uh, first two classes both had two folks apiece. Our class had four. Um, we were told uh, when we showed up that we were going to be the last class of this sort for 
while, if not forever. Um, and this was back in March and uh, here in the States. Uh, during March, you have uh, the NCAA men's basketball tournament, or it's dubbed uh, the uh, March Madness. And then uh, when the Final Four teams are there, they're dubbed the Final Four. So our class uh, dubbed ourselves the Final Four, and our class patch that we created uh, resembles as such. So that was kind of fun to uh, get that all uh, made up. But, yeah, it was an interesting uh, course. Uh, Like I said, we had those two T6 flights, but never actually touched the T1 jet. It was all in simulators. Um, They were all fixed simulators. None of them were motion. And, uh, yeah, we did different things, Um, you know, traffic patterns, uh, simulated air, air refueling, simulated low level, simulated airdrop, those sorts of things um, that the normal UPT students would practice out in the real jet. We just did all in a sim and a very condensed uh, timeline. And yeah, it was it was difficult. It was a s- strong learning curve for me. Um, on the military side of things, you had a good grasp of flying and all that, but uh, learning how the Air Force does flying and their books and regs. And, you know, in the airlines, it seemed like you had maybe three, four, maybe at the most five documents you looked into uh, for, you know, systems and company rules and regulations. And with the Air Force, it seems like there's, I don't know, 50 or so different manuals you had to look up different stuff. And so that was probably the biggest uh, learning curve I had going into the program. Um, yeah, so that was um, about March to May time f- frame. And then uh, since then, I've also went out to Altus for C-17 uh, pilot initial qualification. And I just finished that up uh, this past Monday, October 24th. And I'm on my way back to my home unit to uh, get re-processed and uh get all my ducks in a row before heading out to Sear, which uh, not looking forward to, but, you know, going to have to go through it and I'll make the most of it. And then after that, I will go on orders to uh, train with my unit and get uh, mission qualified and all that fun stuff. So, uh, yeah, and also within the mix of all that Air Force stuff going on, I left uh, my previous company and actually interviewed and got hired on with uh, uh, one of the major airlines that's named after a country that it uh, provides service in. I'll leave that there. And then uh, my real goal is always to fly for a certain uh, company that flies around purple boxes. So I also found the opportunity to interview and get hired and complete in doc with them uh, between my UPT experience before going out to Altus. I uh, interviewed, got hired, and completed in-doc with them. So, uh, yeah, once I'm done all my training on the Air Force side, I will go be flying the uh, 767 for Purple Box Movers uh, based out of uh, Tennessee. And I'm really looking forward to uh, both opportunities that I have coming forward, find the C-17 and uh, find the 7-6. So and that's just a recap on uh, what I've been up to and hope you're all doing well. And uh, yeah, take care. See you. All right. Great update. Thank you, uh, 
Craig, for that. I, the, the big the big heavies, I guess, is your world now. Sounds like oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. just thinking uh, back. Yeah. Like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was just saying congratulations uh, for just doing so well. And for, for you've obviously had a lot to cope with. And uh, I, I just feel sorry that you've had to go on to the 767. So. <laughs> <laughs> it just never that. ends. I was just going to say, you know, just thinking back, because um, Craig's been a part of the APG community for a long time. And I think he, he first has. started sending in feedback back when he was a CFI. Mm -hmm. So it's been really fun to just kind of tag along with your journey the whole way yeah thanks for always including absolutely us. brilliant so uh do they call you captain lieutenant or lieutenant captain he's not actually here with us uh, oh Nick. Okay. he's right. there well, he was audio he come back -recorded. With feedback. <laughs> we're gonna have endless because they have you have you know lieutenant generals and don't you and colonel generals and we have major lieutenant. generals and well we have major generals and lieutenant generals, but not uh, colonel general. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Last time, well, okay. you know, it's well, been I'm a while sure you're going to have a lieutenant captain then. <laughs> okay, uh, so that's that's what we're going to call him now for, uh, for for this point on, uh, Lieutenant Captain Craig. Um, I, I have a little concern that um, abbreviated, accelerated, whatever you want to call it, program that he was in the final four. Uh, he talked about, you know, navigation and instrument training. I think maybe one of the things that they kind of uh, kind of emphasize, at least they did when I was in UPT, is formation flying. And it doesn't sound like you got much of that. And I guess you probably couldn't really get much of that in the T1 simulator. T1 is a uh, like a business jet, uh, kind Ooh, of an okay. airplane, um, like a beach. I think it's a, what is that uh, called? A beach, beach jet, I think. Uh, it used to be a Mitsubishi diamond i think and then beechcraft uh, bought the uh airplane from them and um yeah so <laughs> admiral general of the apg who is that me or is that craig i don't know craig. Oh, okay. it's definitely you um so um anyway so I, i'm just i guess craig will get his formation experience when he starts flying the C-17, because I know they do that, fly that's formation. That's an interesting airplane to learn close up. I know. <laughs> oh, wow. It's going to be interesting. Don't they do formations with FedEx? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I don't believe that the purple box people um, do formation flying, at least not oh. on purpose. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, even when they're throwing the boxes out of the back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's how they deliver them, isn't it? They just I think so. Right. Well, sometimes it, it appears that, that that's the way they do it. <laughs> just You've got about 10 minutes left, Jeff, before yep. plane tail time. Perfect. Okay. Do you want Do you want to do number 18 just so you, you're sure you cover the skiathos thing? I know you wanted to yeah. cover that. Okay. So um, just skip down to tell the guys. Control room is uh, directing me to move to number 18 in the feedback. Wow. Um that's a jump. Yeah, it is. And uh, it's because it's somewhat timely feedback. Uh, this is from El Spiloto uh, Skiathos, uh, Greece, again, uh, in reference to the video he sent in, in uh, on episode 537 of the Boeing 757 landing onto Skiathos and subsequently the said aircraft using its thrust reversers to power back to make the turnoff or oh, as yeah, the, the guy that had a very sharp turnoff yeah and then try couldn't quite make it so he reversed back right and the, i think then the uh, the people that posted the video said uh, they went into reverse gear 
Hmm. Um, anyway, uh, love it. He said, I felt a couple of interesting points got missed. I can't work oh, out if this is undoubtedly. down. I know how, I don't know how possibly we, we never have... miss any interesting points. We I get know. all no, the no, interesting no, no, no. ones. We just ignore the boring yeah. ones. We, we let you bring out the uninteresting. Well, you know, ones. it was interesting to us. Uh, maybe not to you. Right. right? Okay. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Um, okay. I can't work out. This was down to you being a little tired from the heavy flying schedule at the time. I think he's using sarcasm. Or the fact oh, that dear. all American pilots are just a bunch of cowboys and this landing just. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. I wasn't. Well, I'll just put that in and post. Uh, or the fact that all American pilots are just a bunch of. Oh, wait. And uh, just look like your run of the mill American slap it on and get it off job. <laughs> yeah, that's us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Not sure exactly. I take offense um, to that. Snow okay, so let's, yeah, I, I think that uh, we're probably going to have to do this. And this. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. So he gave us a link to a video. And is that the one that I want to play? Um, is that the original video? I'm not sure. I'm talking to myself, I think. Uh, as I mentioned before, the 757 made the second turnoff, which is 800 meters after the threshold of runway two, or 2,600 feet. This wow. is a bloody impressive feat. And if you watch the video again, you can see brake dust shooting out of the brakes towards the end of the roll as the captain stomps hard on the brakes to make the turnoff. Okay, so I need to play that. So. And he didn't make it. So no. all that effort was so completely wasted. Still had to put it in reverse gear. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Good point, Steph. That's exactly the right terminology. Um, I I'm thinking you. very much like in the movie Airplane, where they go to... Um, move from the gate and he definitely puts it into gear. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I have it up here. Let's see. Boom. And the stream is loud. I'll turn the volume down. He okay. He's coming in for landing. Here's a 757 TUI airlines. Brake dust. Okay. Yeah. Watch for the brake dust here. We're going to go full screen here and I'll tell you when to look for it here. Okay, here's the other view. Touches down, com strut compression, mm -hmm. straightening out, nose wheel comes down. And then it's coming up here pretty quickly. Watch the left main. Right there. Oh. Do you see that? Yeah. Whoa. And then, uh, as Steph mentions, he starts to make the turn. Whoop, that's not going to do it. Going to have to use the reverse gear. And... Here we go. He's beep, 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 beep. It definitely makes beeping noise when you do this. It does. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to hear because the jet engines are so loud. And and then, of course, he goes on his way. Okay. So I guess we can do this, and I can turn the sound off completely and let that play in the background, and I'll go back to... Uh, Els Pilotos' uh, feedback. He says, um, this is a bloody impressive feat. And if you watch the video again, okay. I've operated into Skiathos many times before, both in 7.3s and uh, A320s. I've never come close to making that turn off, nor have I seen anyone mad enough to try. By the way, 
captain only landing. The 757 was probably around 90 tons on landing as it would have been tankering due to the high cost of fuel on the island. I don't have a landing performance I don't have landing performance for the 757, but I do for the 737 and A320. On this runway at max landing weight minus the usual 1 ton planning buffer uh, using max reverse and max manual braking applied, we're talking carrier landing the damn thing on, the 7.3 can stop in 844 meters, which is 2770 feet, and the A320 does worse at 1080 meters, or 3540 feet. Everything is unfactored and both miss the exit. Impressed or, more appropriately, horrified yet? 800 meters, bloody hell. What about the children? I mean, the brakes. Doesn't anyone ever think about the brakes? I'm surprised a wheel <laughs> fire or two didn't break out or at least melt a few, a few fuse plugs. Then what about the following departure? Scathos Airport does not allow you to hang around for long as there is only a grand, grand total of two parking spots. I have had to hold overhead several times in the past as there was no space on the ramp. Therefore, there was no way these guys turned around in more than an hour. I'm certain those brakes were still cooking on taxi out and not sufficiently cooled for takeoff. If a high-speed reject occurred, that would have led to an exceedance of the brake energy limit and then possibly led to brake fade or fuse. Either way, it would not have been pretty. Uh, curious, what can the 717 manage in anger? Uh, so I've included a little table for our crew here to uh, take a look. Uh, operational landing distances on the 717 at maximum landing weight um, and flaps 40 uh, shows. And this is based on crossing the threshold um, or touching down 1,500 feet uh, from the threshold. So if you touch down on on uh, brick one or at the very, very end or beginning of the runway, uh, you can probably take 1,500 feet off that or at least 1,000 feet. So we're talking like somewhere between 2,700 and 3,300 feet for a so landing the, distance. So the 7.3. The 7.3 and the A320, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it would, be, it would be tough for the 717 to do what the 7.5 did in that, uh, in that picture there. And it says, as for the power back, this is a cardinal sin for all operators in Europe. The runway is only seven, uh, 30 meters wide or 100 feet. So there was a chance of these guys putting their arses off the side while backing up. And then he says, from a friend of his at TUI, he said it was a summer contract pilot who was quickly booted out the door when this video surfaced. Uh, Skiathos is also known for the idiots who stand behind aircraft on departure, catching the full fury from a static start, start toga, thrust, takeoff, due to the short one and a half degree uh, percent upslope of runway two. And then he, he sent us another, this, this one's a tough one to watch. So if you're, um, if you're kind of shy about, um, oh. no, this is started to play. Oh, no. that was not the one. Cause I haven't oh, okay, loaded sorry. up the one that I'm going to play next. That was the one that was, um, oh, it was still playing the previous one. one. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, that was kind of B-roll, I guess we call it. Uh, let's see, where is this one? Jet Blast. Okay. Um, and so similar to like St. Martin. Sound of yes. Here we go. Viewer discretion advised. Okay. Now watch so this lady in the number, background. There's a lot more people out here. Yeah, she is oh, 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 Lord. Oh, yeah. That's ouch. 
that was not yeah, that good. was a face plant. Yeah, definitely sure. a definite that face plant. And later on in the video, it kind of shows her off to the side on her back, and people are trying to take care of her, waiting for the emergency equipment. It's just what you need on a holiday, isn't it? Maybe. Yeah, no. Get slammed headfirst into the concrete. None of this is a good idea. No, it's not a good idea. Don't I mean, it might that. seem like a good idea. It's not. <laughs> it's just really not. Anyway, uh, let's get back over here to El Pilatos. Um, he says, um, "There yeah. she is. She's got a bloody nose." And oh stuff. yeah. Okay. There, there she is being uh, looked to. after, attended to. Anyway, so El Pilatos says uh, once again, keep. Keep them episodes coming. May all your check-ins <laughs> with center be check. post-fixed with the words on top, smooth. Best regards, Els Piloto. And then he Great has a, uh, he sent in a sh chart. I don't know. Did I throw that in? I don't think I did. Um, but it shows that the runway is only 5,341 feet long, <laughs> which is six, uh, 1,628 meters. So it's a very short runway. And it shows the... Um, the point at which this uh, 7.5 kind of, I, that's amazing to me. <laughs> it, made, it, it landed well, it, in that short of a distance. Yeah, it's about a third of the way down. Yeah. Uh, once you take into account uh, you know, your landing point, it's, it's incredibly tight. And I have to say, you know, the, the, the brakes on modern airliners are so expensive. You have to wonder, is it really worth the, uh, three minutes it takes to roll to the end and do, go around the dumbbell and taxi back 10 minutes perhaps i uh, uh, don't think so mm, no it sounds like uh, uh, and that's the, the point you, didn't you, think so either it's all very well to uh you know fill yourself full of testosterone and just try and prove how well you can fly the airplane but there are a lot more things to take into account when you're a captain on an airline uh you know the, You've got the commercial aspects of uh, how the airline operates to consider as well. Yeah. So there's the um, the picture of the airport diagram, and he has uh, uh, outlined or uh, made us um, aware of the short distance of the runway. And then you can see right on that left, that lower box, left uh, upper left hand corner is the taxiway that uh, the seven five was able to uh, eventually make after putting it in. Uh, reverse gear um, yeah i can see they've only got two parking gates there one and mm -hmm. two <laughs> yep very appropriately named yeah i guess they could have gone with a and b but one and two better. yeah i like a and b uh, yeah <laughs> anyway well thank you els pilotos for uh kind of following up on that and it's great to hear people listening to the show that actually have experience uh flying in and out of some of these places so that's great stuff mm. thank you very much keep it up that's not his real name by the way uh but oh. uh, you know, it's uh, to protect oh. the innocent, in this case, him. Um, Are you right. sure he's innocent? Pardon me? Are you sure he's innocent? Well, no, I'm not. <laughs> Jeff is feeling very, what do we say? Uh, I think he's generous. Yeah, I think his real name is Zorro. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. All right. Well, you know what time it is. It's time for this week's plane tale. Uh, the old pilot put this one together. It's called Only a Flat Tire. The old pilot's plane tales. Only a flat tire. There is a pilgrimage for those of the Islamic faith, which should be completed at least once in their lifetime, should the circumstances permit, which takes them to Mecca. 
This journey is considered one of the five pillars of their religion and is called the Hajj. Each year, upwards of two million of the faithful make the journey to follow the path of the Prophet Muhammad to a number of holy sites before their pilgrimage rites are considered complete. Muslims from around the world would make this journey, which in modern times is often completed using air travel, as it was in 1991 when Nigeria Airways wet-leased a Douglas DC-8 operated by Nation Air Canada to help them cope with this season's increase in passenger traffic due to the hand. A wet lease refers to the fact that both the airframe and its operating crew are included in the agreement. The aircraft itself was a 23-year-old Super 60 series, a model of the well-established airliner that was a stretched version of earlier types, which allowed it to fly in a high-density configuration of over 250 passengers. On that day, the aircraft carried 247 passengers, mainly made up from those who had completed their holy pilgrimage. Also on board were 14 crew members, which included experienced flight deck personnel, an ex-Royal Canadian Air Force captain who had over 10,000 hours, a first officer with 8,000 hours, and a flight engineer with 7,500. They had brought their aircraft into King Abdulaziz International Airport in Jeddah and were shortly going to start their return leg, bound for Sokoto in Nigeria. But, in fact, the problem they were about to face had manifested itself several days prior. The DC-8 had flown into Accra in Ghana with a weather radar fault, and whilst waiting for spare parts, it had been decided that the maintenance team would take the opportunity to perform a scheduled A-check. This inspection routine was one of several that had to be performed at intervals. They ranged from the most comprehensive and demanding, referred to as a D-check, which required an entire strip-down of the aircraft, lasted some two months and took around 50,000 man-hours to complete, to a much more simple A-check, which could often be achieved in half a day. The A-check wasn't actually due for 35 hours, but it seemed a good opportunity to get it started, and if they ran out of time, they could always finish it later. Splitting the check up wasn't approved by Transport Canada, but they were in a quiet corner of Africa, a long way from home. Who was going to notice? In charge of the maintenance staff was an ambitious French expat who had been chosen because of his previous experience working in Africa. He had assured his superiors at Nation Air that everything would go smoothly, and despite his limited experience with DC-8 and rudimentary knowledge of English, he appeared to be living up to his claims. One of the A-check items was a reading from the aircraft's tyre pressures, taken by a pressure gauge. The records show that several of the main wheels had a satisfactory reading of around 180 psi. The readings from tyres 2 and 4 were only 160 psi, but then, in a different pen colour, those readings were overwritten to read an acceptable 180. But no work had been done. The tyres had not actually been reinflated to their correct pressure. The paperwork had clearly been falsified. Back online over the next few days, the DC-8 successfully operated several more flights 
between Saudi Arabia and Nigeria, until it again returned to Accra, where it was scheduled to complete a four-hour maintenance session to replace three main wheels, numbers 1, 2 and 4, which were worn. The lead mechanic had arranged for the new wheels to be stored at the airport in readiness, but when they went to retrieve them, they found that the storage room was locked and nobody had a key. It took two hours to sort out the problem, but just before they started work, the Nation Air Operations Officer at Accra got an urgent message from the man who was managing the leasing project, urging him to get the aircraft back into service as soon as possible since Nigerian Airways were moving passengers onto their own flights and Nation Air could lose a lot of income. In particular, he stated that the message was top urgent and the situation critical. More specifically, he wrote, Do not let maintenance change wheels in Accra. Interestingly, the project officer's understanding of the lease contract that Nationair had with Nigeria Airways was poor. He was pressuring the operations officer in the belief that the airline would suffer financial penalties for the delays or cancelled flights. This wasn't the case. Nationair wasn't at fault if delays were a result of failed equipment or maintenance requirements, so the work could have gone ahead without any undesirable consequences. What's more, he didn't have the background to understand the repercussions of delaying the wheel change. The lead mechanic and the operations officer met, and collectively they decided that the tyre replacement could wait, and that this threat to their contract with Nigeria Airways took precedence. They had to get the aircraft back to Jeddah as soon as possible, and they would do the work the next time. The wheels were loaded into the DC-8's cargo hold and would be put onto the aircraft when it landed back in Nigeria in two sectors' time. Little did they realise the consequences of this plan. The airliner departed and then landed safely in Jeddah, aiming to depart for Sokoto, Nigeria, that evening. However, their departure time kept slipping as problems occurred. Refueling had to be stopped when it was discovered there was a problem with the payments made for the fuel. After this was sorted out, passenger loading delays caused more difficulties. As they were originally due to fly on a Lockheed TriStar, and the change to a DC-8 meant that the seat numbers didn't match. This resulted in every passenger having to be individually processed rather than in their original block booking. Rounding up the passengers, checking their documentation and working out who would fly in the smaller aircraft took hours, so it wasn't until 8am the next day that they were ready to board. Shortly before 8, the lead mechanic who was travelling on the aircraft remembered that he wanted to check and inflate the tyres that had previously been down on pressure. Why he waited until 20 minutes before departure isn't clear, but when the handling agent checked, no bottled nitrogen, the inert gas used for aircraft tyres, was nearby and it would cause further delays to bring it across the airfield from its location. The agent came to the ramp to explain, but the lead mechanic had already boarded the aircraft, so they talked to the project manager instead, who made the decision to... Ah, oh, forget it. After all... 
they were going to fit brand new tyres after this flight anyway. A few minutes later, the maintenance release was signed off by the flight engineer, who was completely unaware that two of the DC-8's main tyres were below the minimum pressure considered to be airworthy. To the uninitiated, tyre pressure may seem to be a trivial maintenance item. It certainly seemed so to the lead mechanic, who despite having a delay of 12 hours, forgot to arrange for them to be pumped up, and the project officer, who prevented the last-minute attempt to rectify the fault. However, during ground movement, tyres can generate considerable heat through three main causes. Firstly, as a heavy aircraft rolls forwards, its tyres will deform at the bottom, they'll squash down, and then release as the tyre turns, which deforms the tyre carcass, causing the side walls to heat up. Heat transfer will occur from the brakes into the tyres, and friction from the ground also heats up the rubber. Heating reduces the tyre's structural integrity, particularly in the tyres that were already overdue for replacement. In addition, the ground temperature of the taxiways and runway at Jeddah in the summer was extremely high. All these factors were amplified in the number one tyre, since the other tyre on that axle was not up to pressure, causing it to carry a greater load multiplying the problems. Under the hot sun of the Arabian desert, the scene was set for a disaster. Using the call sign Nigeria 2120, the first officer who was at the controls pushed up the throttles and with 261 souls on board, the DC-8 began its takeoff roll. As the big machine gathered speed and passed 60 knots, the number one tyre on the left main landing gear failed. The crew heard a rumble and felt some vibration. In answer to the flight engineer's query, the FO said he thought they might have a flat tyre. His captain asked if his feet were accidentally pushing down on the brakes. He assured him, saying that his feet were on the bottom of the rudder pedals away from them. The captain didn't seem overly concerned and he allowed the takeoff to continue. 30 seconds later, they reached the V1 decision speed, rotated and climbed into a clear sky. Below them, the gear was a mess. After the number one tyre failed, the deflated shell of rubber had ripped away until the metal rim was grinding along the runway, leaving a shower of sparks. The friction heated the gear up, setting fire to the adjacent tyres and heads turned to watch as the aircraft got airborne trailing fire and smoke. Unaware of the impending disaster, in the cockpit the calls came as normal. Positive rate, gear up. The captain raised the gear, bringing the blazing tyres up into the wheel wells inside the wings. Unaware of the internal conflagration that was trapped in the aircraft, the crew went about their departure as normal, accelerating and retracting the flaps and slats that they'd used for takeoff. But within the burning compartment, things were far from normal. 
The wheel well is a tight space surrounded by vital components like high-pressure hydraulic lines and huge fuel tanks. As the fire grew, it consumed tyres, melted the aluminium surrounds and set magnesium alight. Eventually, a hydraulic line was burnt through, spraying flammable hydraulic oil around like a flamethrower, burning holes in the surrounding internal frames. There were no fire detectors in the wheel wells of the DC-8, so the first thing the crew noticed was some pressurisation warning lights. The captain elected to level the aircraft at 2,000 feet and called air traffic control to advise them, but used the wrong call sign, reverting to his more often used Nation Air call sign. The controller became confused, since he was already dealing with an aircraft which, by coincidence, also had a pressurisation fault. By now the fire had started to spread beyond the wheel bay until it breached the centre fuel tank in the belly of the fuselage. More and more damage was being done, and one aircraft system after another began to fail. The cockpit became a confusion of faults and warnings, a spoiler light, a gear unsafe light, hydraulic failures, flight control issues and air brake faults. Confusion also reigned in air traffic, but eventually they managed to declare an emergency and asked for an immediate return to the airport. Whilst the situation in the cockpit deteriorated, in the cabin things were a thousand times worse as the fire broke through the floor in the midsection of the aircraft. One can only imagine the horror that faced the passengers many of whom were unsophisticated people from remote parts of Africa and unused to air travel. Panic spread as people tried to escape the heat, flames and smoke, but the narrow aircraft was packed and there was nowhere to escape to. They burned to death and suffocated where they stood, and eventually as the floor began to burn through, some fell to their deaths. By now a flight attendant had got to the cockpit and reported that there was smoke in the back. Bad, really bad. The captain acknowledged and replied that they were already returning to the airport. As the fire continued to consume vital equipment, the hydraulics completely failed, leaving the first officer to struggle with entirely manual controls. By now they'd swung the aircraft around and had lined up on a runway. It was only ten miles away, but with control runs and electric cables burning through, the first officer lost the use of his ailerons. The captain took over flying and ordered the gear lowered. They were only a few minutes from landing, but with the gear down, blasts of outside air now fanned the flames, and the fire became even more intense. Burning wreckage began to fall from the aircraft, mixed with a horrifying collection of burned seat cushions, life vests and charred bodies which rained down on the outskirts of Jeddah. The captain announced his intention to land, but with the aircraft barely controllable, he was flying an increasingly erratic course, a bizarre dance down towards the runway. They didn't make it. With a mile and a half left to go, the aircraft broke up and fell, slamming into the barren desert 
where it exploded into an enormous fireball that killed all those left alive on board. The flight lasted only ten minutes, and it remains the deadliest aviation disaster involving a Canadian airline. The big question for the Transport Safety Board of Canada to answer was why the captain had failed to reject his takeoff when the number one tyre failed at the relatively low speed of 60 knots. It was thought likely that his training within Nation Air had let him down since they only considered engine fires, failures or a total loss of electrics as a suitable reason to stop a takeoff. The indications of a tyre failure were indistinct and had he considered a real possibility, he would almost certainly have left the gear in the down position. In the aftermath, the crash, combined with Nation Air Canada's poor reputation for service and mechanical faults, led to serious problems with public image and popularity. They subsequently had very poor labour relations, and with damaging media coverage, they became bankrupt in 1993 and ceased trading. Subsequently, their founder and president, Robert Obadiah, was charged with eight counts of fraud, but he never went to prison, and his current whereabouts are unknown. What's the name of that guy that uh, stays in your uh, condo, Liz? Uh, Mr. Obadoy. <laughs> I know where he is. <laughs> well, I, I think he's he got away with it. He went to court, and uh, you know, I don't think he was found guilty of anything. But uh, I, I, the thing that struck me about this incident, and I didn't know about it until quite recently, was um, it. It seems such an innocuous thing to have low tire pressure on uh, one of the wheels in your aircraft. And um, I know it's, it happened to me a heap of times that uh, the guy comes up and goes, well, the tire pressure's a bit low on number eight. And you think, well, I've got all these tires. Is it really going to be a problem? Well, this is perhaps a lesson to everyone that, yes, it could be mm. a problem. You know, yeah. if if, it, if the circumstances aren't right for you, you might get away with it for a flight, possibly two, but eventually it's going to catch up on you. And that low tire pressure puts a uh, puts stress upon the adjacent wheel that amplifies any problems. And uh, before you know it, you can end up in a situation that is it is absolutely disastrous. The crew were experienced. The crew were capable. Um, the support staff, not so, uh, and everyone, this, this was one where you see those Funyuns just lining up mm -hmm. as you're going through the story. You're thinking all these mistakes that people are making, any one of them could have, yeah, could have well, drawn a halt to this. So innocuous. But yeah, Absolutely, and and they yeah, it wasn't all just thought the low tire pressure was. Yeah, the, oh, we didn't change only, it. Oh, we had time. It's only oh, twenty we, psi low, yeah. one hundred and sixty, hundred and eighty. Well, it's just out of limits. What does it matter? Well, it it matters. Hmm. That's why those limits are there. Uh, and I and I apologise for 
the, you know, it is a horrendous accident when you consider what happened to the mm. poor people on board. They were going to die, but for the 10 minutes it took them to get to the point where they uh, actually uh, impacted the ground, the conditions in that cabin must have been appalling. And oh. uh, it's, it just, for me, it just amplifies the image of, the importance of our discipline, self-control, our understanding of the limitations, and our uh, uh, you really do need to know everything that happens to your airplane and what is likely to occur when something like this isn't quite right. Do you, do you really understand the, the ramifications of low tire pressure? You know, if you haven't learned about this incident, learned about it from this incident, then uh, you may not know. So if we've done a little bit, perhaps, to educate everyone, that would be marvelous. Yeah, I certainly learned something. And I have a question for you. Um, huh. He decides not to reject, so they continue the takeoff. Did uh, and, the, and you said that uh, witnesses observed the rim contacting the runway and sparks and fire as it was lifting off. Did the control tower say anything no. to them? No, sadly not. Uh, either they weren't observing the aircraft at that point uh, or the messages of a potential fire didn't get through to them, mm. which I suspect would also be quite likely, you know, because if you're standing on the perimeter of an airfield watching a problem, nowadays you probably know that there's a number you can dial to get to air traffic control in the event of observing an emergency. It used to be written on the back of our ID cards, uh, so that if you have turned it over and he said, if you see a, an incident, dial this uh, f number for air traffic. So you knew how to get straight through to air traffic to say, I've just seen, you know, this airplane get airborne on fire. If the controllers hadn't seen it, and I don't think they did, then yeah, um, if they had just they said something have. like, you know, there's something going on with your left main yeah. gear or you're on fire, that well, may they have. They would have elected not yeah. to put the gear that up, was, turn back around immediately, not a gear. Absolutely. But that was Fire that was another fast, funion that was lining yeah. up that, that, that could have stopped this occurring. That was another link in the chain, as it were. Uh, I know. Uh, and I find, well, I found out about this. I find it quite a deeply moving incident uh, for the, all those reasons, you know. Uh, and so I, I thought it was an important one to cover. Absolutely. Mm. Thank wow. you for covering it. Yes. Okay. Um, which one shall we go to now, Liz? I've well, lost Well, make sure track. you do number eight because you've got some <laughs> slides and stuff. I, okay. I think we might as well use that one. Then. Yeah. Uh, we've had this one. We've been carrying it over for a couple of shows now, I believe. This is from Stefan. Number eight. Uh, number eight. Um, he says, Not in the, that old German bloke, yeah, that yeah. guy that gives, he's still writing to us, yeah, he but is. God love me, he's still, uh, you know, that guy that gave us that just wonderful gin. Mm. Anyway, uh, in the audio feedback, I'm mentioning the incredibly detailed accident report of the accident JU 52 registration hotel Bravo Hotel Oscar Tango. And then he gives us a link. Uh, here is the detailed description about the engines. And so he gives us some follow-up uh, information and links, which will be in the show notes. But let's listen to Stefan's audio feedback. Hi, Jeff. Hi, APG team. Hi, APG audience. This is Stefan from Hamburg calling. I'd like to give a small feedback for episode 537 and your report about um, the uh, plane wreckage from 
68 crash, which was found in the Swiss Alps on a glacier after it was slowly melting. Well, those things occasionally happen. Um, I recalling an incident in 98 where they found the leftovers of a Lufthansa U-52 crash in 44 in the Austrian Alps somewhere in a glacier, and the glacier spit it out again in 98. And, uh, well, this is now an interesting case um, I like to mention. It's the case of the, um, uh, the crash of the uh, private operated U-52, which was, uh, you might recall it, crash in the Swiss Alps, um, I think, two years ago. And uh, there's a very detailed report about it in the, um, in the Swiss um, Excellent Report. And this U-52 contained parts, uh, I believe mostly some uh, cylinders in the old BMW radio engine they were still using on this aircraft from one of those, from one of those glacier findings. Apparently, in uh, 41, uh, Luftwaffe from the Wehrmacht uh, uh, U-52 had to do an emergency landing on a glacier in the Swiss Alps. And in 2002, it showed up again, a bit rusty perhaps, and but some parts very, very intact. And they actually took some parts of the engines, refurbished them, and put them back into service again in other aircrafts. Uh, another still operating U-52 aircraft. We still were using the old ancient BMW engines. And well, it has nothing to do with um, the richest accidents I mentioned, which happened two years ago. But I still like find it interesting that they, after what sixty years sitting in a glacier, they put off the engine parts and were using it again, and uh, um, for a couple of years back in. Um, in an aircraft. Okay, that's uh, for me now. Uh, once again, a big thank you for uh, your show and uh, carry on and your greetings from Hamburg. Bye bye. <laughs> that's marvelous. Carry on. <laughs> uh, it's always good to well, hear from you, Stefan. That's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand quite how you can certify a, an aircraft part for reuse when it's spent 40 in 50 in a glacier <laughs> yeah yeah sitting in a glacier these crazy uh, swiss I'm, people i know you think they'd be a bit more conservative with a little c mm. um and um you know say well you know you can copy it by all means made out of modern material and but wow Surely i find that quite remarkable would be hard to I, I would think it would actually cost more to get it back into yeah. serviceable condition than it would be just to copy and build new yeah i mean that picture doesn't look terribly <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't inspire confidence no, no. it doesn't i don't think i want that in my uh in my aircraft i mean i do find it fascinating that they found these aircraft that disappeared into a glacier and then re-emerge uh but you know uh should we be using the bits uh yeah interesting mm. um there you go all right. Thank you, Stefan. I mean, you're used to this kind of thing, Jeff, aren't you? With airplanes of the age you fly. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say it's because we're a bunch of cowboys. You well, know, that, my, that too. The airplane that I fly <laughs> is... It's not that old. No, it's not. It's well, so crazy. Well, all right. You only have to go back a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like uh, most of these things are maybe 
20 years old, 15 to 20 years old. I think the last one was made in 2006. How about the ones yeah, before about that? How about the Mad Dog? But you flew before. Mad Dogs were a little bit older. But you know yeah. what? It was funny. Oh, not funny. But, you know, I think the oldest airplane in our fleet right now are the uh, A320s that we. Uh, oh, really? North, Northwest Air- Airlines was operating. And the A330s. Uh, we have mm-hmm. several that are still with Northwest registrations on them, and they're very old. Um, yeah, I'm flying them. Oh, I'm baby. just going to zip and shut my mouth. Zip I your think, lip. For a little bit. Yeah, you should. <laughs> But you know what? Sorry I was wondering that. how old those A330s and A340s were. So, oh, they love, yeah, but they haven't got many hours on. Yeah, well. So I think maybe uh, since we're talking about Airbuses and Boeings, Liz, uh, we have several items from feedback no. regarding that. Yeah. No, we don't want those. Well, I think they're going to be, you're going to probably like them, I would think. Oh, can I crow a bit? Yeah, I think you can. Oh, good. Um, great. Let's I'm see. Looking Which, forward to this. Uh, I'm trying to find 14, the. 14. There's, there's a 14 with the one that has a video. Uh, uh, okay. So, but yeah, I stuck two of them together. Okay. Uh, so let's start with uh, 14, uh, the first part uh, from Sam uh, Bolog or Balog. I don't know. Sam, do you have a blog? <laughs> uh, okay, Captain. This is why I'm hooked on your podcast. I just completed episode 418, as Captain Nick suggested. I have no idea that that <laughs> flight contained a physical crew. Oh, episode 418. That was that Airbus thing. No, we, oh, refer- yeah, that's right. we referred him to his, <clears throat> Yeah, we to referred him tail. to episode 418, the plane tail uh, A320, uh, because oh, he, right. uh, Sam sent us in the video, video. Uh, that he found on his, on his uh, video cassette. Of, uh, oh, of the demonstration flight that ended up in a forest. Right. And for yeah, some reason, he thought it was like automated or just one pilot. But uh, yeah, there were two pilots. Um, so anyway, uh, he said, I assumed it was operated remotely. No, you have created an excellent podcast with a wonderful, knowledgeable, well-balanced and entertaining crew. <laughs> well, I when did they goodness. come on? Is Sam a drinker? <laughs> After we're done here. <laughs> Sam's a drinker. Yeah. Or, or you just know like what? the warm-up. <laughs> Liz is saying, Sam's a drinker. <laughs> oh, he must be. <laughs> I just thought he was going to start asking for favors at some point. Oh, yeah. yeah Money. But, um, that's the alternative. Uh-huh. So anyway, he says, you've created an excellent... Okay. Um, I, I'd like to read that one again because it's so, so, such a wonderful sentence. <laughs> I, appreciate it. I, I am anticipating on reaching the episodes where everyone was introduced to the podcast as I have reached up to episode 79 and down to 450. Yeah, I think it was around, what, 150 or so-ish? You know, we've looked at this before, and I can't Yeah, I know, somewhere in that 152, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, on another note, I've always been partial to Boeing over Airbus aircraft, but after learning more about each and having the pleasure to ride on both, I have come to learn and appreciate what each has to offer. Oh, okay, that was very, very moderated. Uh, Thank you, Sam. Diplomatic, Diplomatic, yes. Thank you all again, uh, Sam. And then I threw this one in uh, from uh, Neil um, Herbert. Uh, he, uh, I think, oh, he's a Patreon, uh, a patron. Oh, right. Let me try this again. A patron via Patreon. And so I said from one of our coffee bar clubbers, uh, he said, I couldn't resist sharing this with you. I'm sure Captain Nick would approve. Uh, that Miami guy, not so much. And nah, so he's not here, so it's fine. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> so you. let me you, uh, load up the video and uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, okay, I think it's this one. Yeah. Um, are okay, you ready? Why is there no? Uh, there's no um, audio here, so we can we can talk <laughs> over it. Airbus. 
Airbus uh, uh, joint. Uh, <laughs> clips from uh, the movie Airplane, if you're familiar Airplane, with the last the scene where he's struggling <laughs> with the controls. <laughs> Boeing. Boeing. He's eating a salad, you know, very mm-hmm. healthy. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> and he's just barely, he's touching the side stick controller as if you would touch. Well, I can't really say that. Um, just very delicately. Gently. Very delicately. <laughs> delicately. Yes. Very goodly. Yes, yes, absolutely. Stroking um, it gently. Uh, well, hmm, I don't know if I would say that, but now that it's been said. Oh, boy. Uh, so here we go again. That's the uh, air- airplane movie, and now we're just Some coffee. Pinky up. With this. Pinky oh, up. I love that. Yep. Pinky up. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> Basically, you're coming out in his hand. Okay. He's like, it's like he's trying to strangle a snake. And I'm talking about the bone blind guy. Not, <laughs> yeah. All right. Not the side well, stick controller. Uh, we get the picture. Uh, very cute. Very cute. Thank you, Neil, for uh, excellent sharing. So next, uh, let's... Uh, about eight minutes till 530. I don't know if you do want to do Pip's audio number eight. Yeah, let's oh, do Pip's audio uh, because, yes, go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say, and Sam's feedback, yeah, I, uh, I think you've, trod a very uh, clever line uh, managing to walk down the barbed wire fence without falling off on either side. Congratulations. Yes. Well done, Sam. Good job. Number eight. Uh, Sorry, number six. Number six. Oh, God. Do we have to play this? (laughs) I mean, it's only three and a half minutes. <laughs> a nitpicker. Who we love dearly. As long as that's not a nose picker. Hi, everybody. Regarding episode 535, just catching up a bit here. Um, it seems we're getting a, a little bit uh, muddled regarding uh, RNAV approaches, RMP approaches, and the vertical navigation aspect of them. Uh, you know, going back to that accident in De Gaulle, or near accident, I should say, in De Gaulle, when they misset the QNH and ended up very low on their approach. Uh, so, yeah, that was episode 535, so a few behind. So if someone uh, who is cleverer than what I am has in the meantime come and set you all straight, then uh, feel free to disregard this or, or throw it back in my face if I'm wrong. Um, but... Um, so that, that Q&H missetting error is definitely still a danger on RMP approaches if you're using Barrow VNAV, so LNAV, VNAV approaches, LNAV only, etc. Uh, however, what are widely available these days all over the world are LPV approaches. So it's lo- localizer performance with vertical guidance, which is, is an RMP approach, um, but it's utilizing the the SPAS system, um, which is, I guess, not another name for, but is part of the what we call here the EGNOS system and which you call over there the WAS system, the WAS. Um, so this is, as you said, guys, um, a correction or uh, a fine-tuning of the, of the GPS signals um, so you can use them to fly to, to much lower minimums. And with an LPV approach, you're also using that uh, satellite correction for vertical guidance. So you're no longer flying Barrow-based vertical profiles. You're using satellite uh, GPS-based altitudes. Uh, so exactly like an ILS, it's a fixed fixed points in space, a fixed glide slope. So it doesn't really matter 
what QNH you've got set, uh, you're still going to fly that same fixed points in in space. Um, of course, that's not to say that you don't need to have the correct QNH set. It's going to cause you other problems potentially later on, particularly with uh, your minimas if you if you're not using rad out for minimas. If you're using your um, uh, altimeter, barrow altimeter for your minima callouts, then potentially that could get you in trouble. But the, the vertical profile itself is is going to be fixed in space for an LPV approach. Not so for an LNAV VNAV, because that is barrow. But uh, for LPVs, then certainly um, it's uh, GPS altitude. And honestly, I think LPVs are great. They are personally my go-to preference over an ILS these days, and they're widely, widely available across Europe, and I'm sure in the States as well. Um, I say widely available, not available in the UK, um, because we're not part of the EGNOS gang anymore since uh, since we left the EU. We're no longer paying for that, and we're no longer allowed access to it. So uh, yay Brexit! Anyhow, that's all I hope, and I think what I'm saying is correct. Um, but uh, like I say, take that with a pinch of salt because it is very, very confusing. Uh, anyway, good luck to uh, uh, the good-looking Jeff. He mentioned he's just uh, starting to use this stuff, so I'm, I'm sure he'll he'll be singing his praises soon as well. All right, take care, everybody. See you soon. Well, you know, it is getting to be that time of year when uh, you know you're starting to see Agnos in the um, in the shelves of the uh, yes. grocery stores. I was going to crack exactly the same <laughs> joke. I don't believe that. Great minds. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's eggnog. Darn it. Um, yeah. Well, I think I agree with what he's saying as the LPV. But see, if you fly an airplane like mine, we don't have that option. We we can only do the LNAV. Um, you know the the non precision. Uh, aspect of it, which has to use correct uh, altimetry to, uh, to to be safe. So, but I, I take um, I, I get your point, Pip. Thank you for straightening this out. I don't re- really remember now exactly what we said because <laughs> it's been so many shows ago <laughs> when we did that. But we wanted to hear your lovely voice uh, again, Pip. And for those of you listening who want to uh, listen to Pilot Pip's uh, great podcast, uh, Plane Safety Podcast. Well, That's yeah, Plane Safety. Wait another year or two, you yeah. might get another installment. Yeah, if you get behind well, on their a, podcast, it's easy to catch up. <laughs> I'll just say that. To, you know, have podcast in spurts. Be like, yeah. hmm. you know. That's what she said. Yes. Uh, and of course, he ends with many hugs and kisses to you all. And uh, we do appreciate I've, that. Pat. And I haven't, I haven't a clue what he was talking about. I don't know. Just a bunch of letters all put Did together. He? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, Liz? Did he have a clue what he was talking about? Did he about? have a clue? Probably not. But no, he, he's making it up as he went along. Yeah. He, yeah. he uh, you know, that's, that's one of the important things about being a pilot. You have to sound like you know what you're talking about. Confidence. Even if you have no idea. <laughs> you know, speak with confidence. Exactly. All right. Well. Thank you so much to all of you for sending us in feedback. We do appreciate it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, at least half the show or sometimes more with your suggestions with uh, news items and such. So uh, keep it coming. Uh, you can send your uh, email feedback to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. That's one way to do it. You can also use SpeakPipe. A lot of folks do that as well. That's available to you uh, on the website, airlinepilotguy.com, one of the Things I think it's under the contact us uh, thing. Oh, speaking of airlinepilotguy.com, I finally updated 
the uh, information on the crew, airlinepilotguy.com slash crew. Bio uh, information. Nick, huh? Biography information. Yes, biographical information. Uh, the bio from uh, Nick Camacho is there now uh, with a picture of him Ooh. on a ladder fixing uh, one of the engines of the C-47. And uh, let's see, did I do anything else there? No, I, there's still work to do, but... Uh, at least I have that done, and I'm sure that does it does it say if I'm retired yet? I think that you wrote yours after. I don't. You have to take a look. Um, I think you wrote yours after you had retired. I did update my number of years uh, as being a an airline pilot on my b bio. Um, but anyway, as I said, it's a it's a dynamic thing. Nick is checking his right now. I Work think in it's progress. Airlinepilotguy.com/slash/crew. And uh, I should check mine as well. I'm sure that um, that um, that uh, other things like uh, Instagram have been updated as well recently. Oh yes, right <laughs> on top of that. I think everybody's checking. I think we are going to go to the social meds, but I have to let um, Nick and Steph check their read their bios. bios no, on, I'm, uh, the, I'm still on the flying website. according to this. Are I you? I haven't retired yet. Uh oh. Okay. Well, mind then, you, uh, Nick looks very handsome in his. Red shirt and what has he got in his legs? Um, hmm. That looks weird. Don't know. Fire extinguishers. Fire extinguishers, let's say. <laughs> 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 oh, that lady has a mind. Well done. Anyway, um, so we're going to continue to update our bios. <laughs> and, um, and in the meantime, there are other things that you can see as well on our website. So check it oh, out. Oh, Steph's flying in her party frock. Yep. Mm. Okay. Yep. I don't know what he's talking about. Or just about. a tank top. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's like um, you're going to a cocktail party. Let's, let's get this frocking uh, web uh, frocking show on the, show on the, on the uh, back on the, <laughs> on the rails here. Uh, and let's talk about the social media, the social meds, Steph. Sure. We are on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. You can also find us on Twitter at APG crew is the handle you'll want to search for. And you can find our individual Twitter handles pinned to the top of the page. Um, and as Jeff already alluded to, um, a neglected Instagram account, APG Crew, is where you can find that. Very good. And I think we had Hillel on earlier. He was already in your bathroom prepping for his Slack segment. Is he still there? I think there? so. Um, but let's see if uh, I can turn up the volume of the hidden Clean microphone. Hello? Hello, do you have time for Slack? That's okay. Every week, it's 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 fine with us. Just make sure that you keep yourself wrapped up in that towel. Don't get the what? Hillel, the equipment here. Got to be careful. Electronic equipment. Okay. Uh, sit down and tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you so much, Hillel. Can you for... give me a roll of toilet paper? 
Uh, yeah. oh, really? Be right oh. on it. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I'll hold your nose. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Can you just can you just like roll it across the the <laughs> yeah. floor here here, to the bathroom? Hey, you're number you two in in my book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and also, before we end today's show, let's again um, acknowledge that wonderful producer, director, oh, well, assistant, uh, Thank you very much. Liz Piper in Toronto. Thank My you, pleasure. Liz. As usual. You're Thanks, awesome. Liz. Very, very hard at work. Cheers, almost 24 7, 7, 365. Almost. And uh, anything else to say before we sign off this week's show? We want to acknowledge our wonderful chat room, our live audience. Uh, they really uh, entertain us and uh, help us out with uh, facts and figures and all yeah, that kind of sorry stuff. Sorry about the change of day, but uh, yeah. anyway, well, thanks for following Yeah, us we up. do apologize that we had to shift uh, over to Sunday, but uh, you know, that happens on Well, occasion. I was just going to say, Mohammed's uh, been a, a great mover and shaker mm-hmm. in the chat room tonight, and he's Excellent. saying he'd like to send some feedback in. But he's a bit worried his English isn't up to standard. Oh, no, he's sent us feedback no, no, no. in the back uh, in the past. Absolutely. And it's I would like to say, oh, Mohammed, send your feedback Our in. Our English isn't very good. Yeah, your English is probably no, better terrible. than ours. So you, your German <laughs> appears to be better than our German. Also. Oh, yeah, I was going to look. Absolutely. And, and this is a man who obviously, yes, <laughs> speaking numerous languages. So go for it, man. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. And, um, yeah. With that, we're going to go ahead and sign off. And thank you again for listening to the show. Wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Ta-ta for now. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. Such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I fly